Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing that's just feeding your greed. Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Minimalist Podcast, where we discuss what it means to live a meaningful life with less. My name is Joshua Fields Milburn. And I am Ryan Nicodemus, and together we are the Minimalists. Is your phone on airplane mode? Um, yes. If so, can you throw it out the window? <laughs> hey, I'm uh, on airplane mode. Well, speaking of airplanes, you, you were just on one. I tried to get on one. Welcome back to Missoula, Montana. Thank you. We you, you were missed. We missed you a lot, man. You and Bex. Thanks, brother. How was how was Florida? Florida. I, I, I've intentionally not asked before recording this so we could actually have a conversation instead of <laughs> a scripted thing about it. Um, according to the script, Florida was great, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, according to the script, that is awesome, Ryan. <laughs> no, it was it was great. I went down there to Bandit and hung out with uh, Joshua and Sarah Weaver. Um, the shop is looking amazing. They got some new furniture in there. Um, For folks who are just tuning in, because by the way, we have, because our documentary is on Netflix now, Ryan, I'm, I'm sure you've been experiencing oh, this. We should probably preface Yeah, we, we have we have uh, over a million listeners to the podcast now. So we were, we I think wow. last time Sean had checked, we were around 600,000 people, and now it's well over a million. And oh, now I'm all nervous. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well over 10 listeners. <laughs> oh, uh, we we have dozens of listeners. Even then, that that gets a little strange. Like when we talk in front of crowds, I I don't know about you, but my sweet spot is something like 150 people because it's not so many, or it's not so few that I'm focused on each individual person, but it's not so many that like when we did TEDx Fargo, there was 1,800 people there, and mm-hmm. and it was like it. At first, you, you just see the sea of people, and it's, like, a bit overwhelming. So yeah, well, I don't know if you I, the same I, thing. I think, for me, like, when it's around that 150 mark, it feels – it doesn't feel like a performance. Where, like, the TEDx thing, which it was a performance, don't get me wrong, but it, it makes it uh, – from it turns it from a, uh, you know, intimate setting to, like, a, okay, I'm just, like, trying to talk to the masses and get it out there and, yeah. Right. So no, I totally so, agree. So we should have conversations here pretending it's just podcast Sean in the room. Yes. And, which is weird if he's just constantly listening to all of our conversations. But hey, man, whatever you're into, he's our podcast biggest fan. Sean. Uh, so, so Bandit. Yeah, Bandit. Explain to everyone what Bandit is. Uh, Bandit is a coffee house that Ryan and I started with some good friends of ours, Sarah and Joshua Weaver, a young husband and wife couple down in St. Petersburg, Florida. And so you're, you're at the shop, and we're doing some upgrades to the shop this yeah. month. So it's finally a year old, and uh, we, we, there were some things that we put together at the beginning that looked great, but we knew they were temporary solutions for our customers. And so uh, talk about some of the, the things that you saw there. Yeah, so the furniture's looking great. First off, Joshua, he's got some good skills. So he put benches out front. Yeah. And he, he poured the all concrete himself. himself. Yeah, poured the concrete. My goodness, man, it looks so good. Um, so he did that himself. Uh, th- there was a table he had made by one of his buddies, Evan. I forget Evan's last name. I'd love to give him a shout-out. If he's listening, yeah, great job, Evan. You can but- find it on their Instagram page at Bandit Coffee Co., I believe is the Instagram page. We'll put that in the show notes, Sean, if you don't mind. But a nice, big, like, high-top um, conference table type thing where— In the middle of the shop. In the middle of the shop. It was weird because the one we had before, it was a big table— but it was like low seats and it was a little bit more narrower. So like it wasn't a very 
it didn't feel community. It felt like you're kind of encroaching sure. on people when you sat down. Where this like feels like you're part of a community, but you're not really encroaching on anyone. Like sitting at the table. Yeah, it looked gorgeous from the. He he sent me a picture, and it's it's all oak, and it's yeah, amazing. He's done man. a great job. And then the mural on the outside. Oh holy, my goodness! Every single time I pulled up to that shop, yeah, there were people doing like photo shoots or like taking Instagram pictures or like <laughs> uh, in front of the mural. Man, I've been telling him for months that that was a priority, and I'm really glad that finally he. He listened, and now, granted, he had other priorities like payroll and, and things that are important for <laughs> overhead and whatnot. Yeah, yes. yeah, making coffee for people. <laughs> I'm like, you've got to get this mural done. So for those of you who aren't familiar with St. Petersburg, uh, the coffee shop is sort of right at the edge of, of down the downtown business di- district. It's on Central, but as you're Central dri- on 27th, yes, yep. yes, Central on 27th. As you're driving in to the city down Central, it's sort of the welcoming spot. You see this huge sign that says coffee. And that, that's the coffee shop. But then there's this white wall on the side, and it says, Hello, St. Petersburg. And it's like this perfect welp- welcoming. And I guess a ton of people now are, are taking pictures out front, which is really great because you are welcoming people. And I love St. Pete. You know, uh, people always give uh, people crap who live in Florida. You know, there's like a whole Twitter memes about you know, Florida man does blank or, 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 or whatever. But St. Petersburg just feels like this great community. Like there's so much culture per capita there. And uh, I really love the town. I got really familiar with it when, when my mom passed away. She was living down in, in, in that area and uh, fell in love with the community. And I think it's great to be able to, to have a, a shop there and be and, part of that community. And that was how many years ago, man? I mean, that was seven years ago. Yeah, and the community has gotten even like richer in culture yeah, since then. Absolutely. So, I, like the Dolly Museums. I mean, the Dolly Museum's always been there, but Well, no, the the new the new the one that's there now wasn't there when I first started visiting. It was mm. a different Dolly Museum, and this one is just a true work of art. The building looks like Dolly's imagination. Yeah. Yeah, so so it's uh it, it's a great place to be, but you're right. I think the economic downturn hurt Florida a lot. Mm-hmm. And I think the creativity that came out of that that was, was birthed from the economic downturn really made the city a better place in, in the long run. And I think you're seeing that now, uh, better use of some of these abandoned buildings. I mean, the, the shop that we're in is, is an old Porter Paints building that you know we had to completely redo. When I say we, I mean mostly Joshua and Sarah. And <laughs> we mean they. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we, we just had the opportunity to to be a part of this and, and to, to bring some people in there and yeah. also in, and invest in a community that we really believe in. So... Uh, it was great. You, you went you went elsewhere when you were in Florida too, right? I did. Um, see what else I did. Okeechobee. I, I saw Brother Cephas. Oh, nice! I, I got to catch one of their concerts. Um, afterwards, I uh, you know of course went on uh, you know my music platform. I won't sit here and advertise the music platform, but uh, yeah, I went on there and, and downloaded their album. Oh, I forget what their album's called. You know what it's called? Yeah. Well, they have a, a EP called Noise. Yeah. And oh we, yeah. We, we played the song, uh, one of their songs called Noise, yeah. from, at the end of our Noise That's, episode. It's the song they opened up with. Uh, it's so good, man. Yeah, it was really good. Yeah, they have yeah, another song called good. Matrimony. So Brother Cephas is uh, one of the guys who's in the band, uh, works at the coffee shop uh, and, at Bandit. And there's yeah Seth yeah. and they are so they're just they're so talented and they make they make really good music man yeah it was really really good and then yeah I went to go see my grandparents for a couple of days in Okeechobee Okeechobee uh-huh. Florida uh-huh. it's the largest uh, inland lake no largest freshwater lake uh-huh. in or inland freshwater lake in North America because I know like Lake a lot Erie of quali- <laughs> Lake Ontario <laughs> well the thing is is like um, the reason why that means something to me is because we live. Uh, close to Flathead, which is the second largest lake. Uh-huh. 
um, freshwater lake in, in North America. Right. So anyway, I have access to the two largest lakes. I don't even that doesn't really mean anything. I think technically everyone beautiful. has access. That's what it means. It's really them. really beautiful. What's that? I said I think technically everyone has access to them. Yeah. Right? <laughs> They're my lakes. <laughs> no, but my grandpa. Um, first off, dude, my grandparents. They have got. They're not tiny. It's not a tiny home. It's like a. It's more like a simple home. Uh huh. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah, it's yeah. just exactly what they need. Um, and then they have like a guest house, which is what, what might qualify as a tiny home. Uh, maybe 300 square foot, uh, 250 square foot. I know, like you know, T- Tammy Strubles was like 90 square foot or no, something. No, I think it's 180 or something. Is it okay? But yeah, yeah. But anyway, um, it, it just it was perfect. Like it didn't. It was more like a studio apartment. You uh-huh. know? So we like hung out in there, and they stayed in their place, and yeah, it w- they got like a screened in like in ground pool. I mean, it's like it's really really simple. They have everything that you need in Florida, and nothing more. And it's funny because like my grandpa and I were talking about this. We were we, me and Mariah, my grandfather, we were out on his pontoon boat, uh, fishing like you know at night and catching some crappies and catfish and bluegill and stuff. And uh, yeah, we had this long conversation about like how. He has exactly what he needs. He's like, he's like, yeah, I could get a lot more. He's like, but I just have exactly what makes us happy, what your grandmother needs, and so forth and so on. I just like, I don't know, man. I just like really looked at their life. I'm like, God, I hope one day I can just buy this property off of them <laughs> <laughs> and like live this amazing little simple life on uh, one of the canals of Okeechobee, Florida. I mean, he's got access like to the lake right there, and wow. the neighbors are really nice. And um, actually. Uh, one of his neighbors is, is uh, from, oh, where's Sealy Lake at? Is that Sealy? What, what city is that? Sealy Lake in, in Montana? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's up north closer to yeah, Helena. But it's, yeah, it's like 45 minutes from Missoula, but he's actually from there. Um, so we had some nice conversations about Montana, so forth and so on. But, but yeah, uh, it was a great trip. Um, Florida is really, really uh, nice and warm this time of year compared yes. to Montana. You came back to feet of snow. Yeah. But I also went snowboarding yesterday. Nice. So, so, so you took advantage of that. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, uh, it was really, really awesome. It is crazy, man. Like how much after the movie hit Netflix, like how people just come up like snowboarding yesterday, three people like just actually one of uh, two people inside the, the lodge. Uh-huh. Um, and what, this one guy, he's waving at me and he's like, like just looking right at me, waving big, big <laughs> smile on his face, big hand, and I'm like, he's certainly not doing that to me because, like, you know, like he knew me, you know. So I look, I look around me, and I'm like, is, who's he waving at? And I was like, okay, I just kind of ignored it and thought, okay, he's waving at someone that I'm not picking up on or whatever. Sure. And um, I started to like walk past him, and he like stood up. He's like, you're the guy from the film, aren't you? And uh, <laughs> I'm it, a hugger too. Yeah, yeah, that's right. He's like, I'm a hugger too. Give me a hug. Yeah, it was great, man. And then um, another, just an, another person came up to me. Um, but then when we were leaving, there was a truck that like got stuck in one of the ditches. Uh huh. So I was uh, Mariah and I stopped to help uh, get push this guy out. And as we're sitting there helping, like we're pushing the truck, and I this car drives by, and I hear, "You're the minimalist." <laughs> <laughs> Great, man. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've had the same thing, although I've been in, in Montana. So I was supposed to fly down there the day after you flew down to Florida, and uh flight got delayed. The next available flight was like three days later, and it was just – it wouldn't have made sense to spend two days traveling for one day in Florida. And and so 
basically, we, we ended up staying here for Christmas. And everywhere I've gone, like to, to the good food store, and, and I was in the bathroom there. And the guy goes, hey, I'm a hugger, too. I'm like, yeah, me, too, but not in the bathroom. Uh, let's go outside first. <laughs> let's wash our hands first and then hug. Yeah, let's, <laughs> uh, let's, be, let, let's have a sanitary hug. Although, um, you know, the thing is we, we, we started hugging on the first tour that we did way back in, in 2011, a year after we started the website, our first book came out, Minimalism, Live a Meaningful Life. And we just sort of went on the road, and there were very small crowds, and it, and it made sense to just embrace people to hug, and it broke down any sort of barrier because it was weird to show up when there was a crowd of four or, or six people, and you're like, shaking hands, might give a former, formal speech in front of four people. No, like, we're, we're just going to hug, and we're going to talk, we have a conversation. It bro- broke down that wall. Also realizing hugging isn't for everyone. <laughs> for, for every you know, 40 people who have contacted us on social media who have said, uh, you know, uh, thanks for – I've exposed my whole family to, to the hugs from, from minimalism. You converted our whole family to being <laughs> huggers. Yeah. I didn't know we were trying to convert people, but it's great. Right. Uh, I, I think it breaks down the barrier, but, but also there, there are people who don't like hugs, and that's why we announce it beforehand. Hey, I'm a hugger, and especially in Montana. 63% of households own handguns, and so you have to be really careful with, with the hugging. You don't, want to pe- think people you're, you don't want people to think you're assaulting them, and so – yeah, we tend we tend to announce it first, and so uh, we, we'll we'll still continue to do that. Uh, but yeah, if you if you see us in public, come on up, grab a hug. They are free, and or a handshake, or a fist bump, wh- whatever your thing is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all of those are free and transferable. Yes. So uh, yeah, we're we're happy to uh, to just say hi, to have a conversation, and uh, I know understand now we have a, a bunch of of new listeners here on on the podcast. So if you're unfamiliar, I think this podcast will help catch you up. You can also go back to our archives. Uh, later uh, this week, we're actually going to do a best of 2016 episode. And, and so you can go back and listen to some of those episodes, or you can just go back to our feed, go to iTunes and, and, or wherever you get your podcast, whatever podcatcher. I think that's the term the kids use these days, podcatcher. Whichever podcatcher you use, we, we use something called uh, Overcast. It's my favorite one. But just the, the iTunes app or wherever you go, or you can just go to theminimalists.com slash podcast, and you can find an episode that resonates with you, whether it's relationships or finances or priorities or education or decluttering or stuff. We have a bunch of different episodes dedicated to particular subjects, particular topics. So welcome to everyone who's new, to everyone who has been here for a while. Thank you for, for returning. We are grateful you are here. Today's episode is episode number 46, and today, Ryan, I was hoping to talk to you uh, about our influences, what has influenced you, what are good influences, what are bad influences, and and maybe go down that road a little bit and also answer some questions from our audience. Sounds good to me. Let's start with our first voicemail question. This one is from Jared in one of my favorite cities in the world, Los Angeles, California. I'm curious in your journeys if when you um, knew that this was the right path for you and uh, how did you know that and how long did that take to determine? Um, Also, um, was it a gradual thing? Was it an instantaneous thing? Um, Was there ambiguity or uh, uncertainty surrounding that? Uh, If you could just talk about that, I'd really appreciate it. Thanks so much. All right. Well, for those of you who are intimately familiar with our story, maybe you've read our book, Everything That Remains, or you've been following our website since you were one of those first 52 
uh, readers six years ago, then you may want to fast forward the next 10 minutes of, of this podcast because we're going to rehash some backstory of, of the Joshua and Ryan story, but hopefully we'll pepper in some, some new information there as well, maybe even talk about some influences. So, Jared, your question about when did I know it was right to embark on minimalism, I, I think ultimately my short answer was I, I didn't know, right? But I figured it wouldn't hurt to give it a try, to, to try out minimalism, try something different in my life. So for me, seven years ago, I was 28 years old, and, and, and up until that point, I, I basically had achieved everything I ever wanted. I had the six-figure salary, the, the big house with, with more toilets than people, and all the stuff to fill every corner of my consumer-driven lifestyle, the closets of clothes, the expensive cars, the expensive stuff. And that should have been great, especially after growing up really poor and, and not having much, you know, having food stamps and, and having our electricity turned off as a kid back in Dayton, Ohio. I, I realized, in fact, Ryan, I was just, I was just, just back in Dayton and, and, and drove down uh, to the town we went to high school in. And I sent you a picture of, of the house I grew up in. Oh, yeah. And it was, I mean, it's, it's all boarded up. Unbelievable. And, like, unbelievable, man. Yeah, it, it, you should I, do a home tour of your old house on Warren Street. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I, I sent it to Bex. I sent, and she goes, oh, my God, is that fire damage? And I said, no, it's life damage. Yeah, man. Be- because it, w- it was just, I mean, it's going, the house is falling down at this point. Mm-hmm. But, you know, whatever, uh, 10, 20 years ago, it wasn't, it, it, it wasn't much better, to be, to be honest with you. And, and so uh, growing up poor, figuring the reason that we were so discontented is because we didn't have a lot of money. And so I climbed the corporate ladder throughout my 20s and made good money and then great money and became rich not wealthy necessarily because I was spending more money than I was making. And so instead of success and contentment and happiness, I had stress and, 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 and tons of overwhelm and anxiety and just mountains of debt, six figures worth of debt, half a million dollars if you count my mortgage. And I wasn't living the life that I wanted to live. In fact, I didn't even know what the life was. I was going with the flow, and I was really good at going with the flow, climbing that corporate ladder, and and I was discontented by uh, the pursuit of happiness in a weird way. Because you were promised life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I think that's part of the problem is, is we're constantly trying to pursue happiness through these ephemeral pleasures of, of buy this, acquire that, get the Facebook like, get, get the new shiny widget that's going to impress people you don't like. And it was a cycle that I was caught up in. And, and for me, it, it was also it had to do with the job title. Look at me. I'm the director of operations of 150 retail stores, and I manage all these people and all these stores. And, and it was a, a status symbol, and it became wrapped up as part of my identity. And then, of course, in, in late 2009, in the same month, my mother died and, and my marriage ended. And, and when both of those things happened, it forced me to start to look around and start to question what had become my life's focus. And, and what I realized, I was focused on the wrong stuff. I was focused on stuff, you know, the accumulation of stuff. That, that, those are the trinkets of success in our society. And I knew I needed to, to start focusing on some, something else. I didn't know what it was. But then about a month later, I inadvertently stumbled across this thing called minimalism and found this whole community of people who were living different lives, but, but they, you know, whether they were families. Uh, so like in our documentary, we have Leo Babalta in there, and he has six kids. And, and by the way, a lot of the criticism I've seen r- recently is, six kids isn't very minimalist. He's ruining the planet. And it's like, 
Well, what do you want him to do? Do you want him to get rid of his kids? Good grief. Should he declutter his kids? Everything we do is steeped in irony. Yeah. It's a very minimal amount of podcast listeners you have. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, so it, 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 But then I also saw people like Colin Wright, who's a good friend of ours now, but he was an inspiration at first. He's also in the documentary. He travels to a new country every four months. And while I didn't want to live his lifestyle and I didn't want to be Leo with six kids— I, I knew that there was a brand of minimalism that might work for me. I wasn't sure. And so, Jared, to answer your question, when did I know it was right? I didn't. But I knew I needed to at least give it a shot. Well, why not try it out? Why not simplify my life? Because life, what's the worst that could happen if you simplified your life? Well, nothing really. I mean, you get rid of some stuff. Maybe you needed something that you were holding on to just in case. Yeah, but generally that, that's not true. And the things are just things. And I've never regretted a thing that I've let go of. I'm not saying that that's going to be the same for everyone. You know, there may be something that you could regret. But for me and for just about everyone I know who's let go of stuff, they've never truly regret letting go of a, of a material possession. And, and we tend to let go of things that aren't adding value to our lives anyway. So if you're not getting value from something, then letting it go, you're not going to regret having some, you're not going to regret not having something that doesn't add value to your life. I, that was a quadruple negative or something, but I think if you if you go back and track it syntactically, it makes sense. <laughs> I think so. Um, a- anyway, uh, it, it, as I let go, I, I basically started small. And so, Jared, I want to send you a copy of our book, Everything That Remains, but I, I want to read an excerpt from it because it really talks about the details of both of our stories through through the lens of uh, of the uh, of me being the the sort of main character of this book, but Ryan sort of peeking in throughout the story and, and making his own uh, interjections and interruptions. And it's my favorite thing that we've ever done. In fact, uh, we're recording this uh, podcast a couple days after Christmas, and there is a free version out there right now of the book. If you want to check it out, we'll put a link to it in the show notes, or you can just go to theminimalists.com slash Merry, as in Merry Christmas. So we gave all of our audience uh, a, a Merry Christmas gift. There is a, a free version of uh uh, ebook version, obviously, uh, of everything that remains out there. There's also a French translation. We had a really great, uh, kind reader, Ben, who translated the entire book into into French. Yeah, what an awesome guy! I actually had coffee with him when oh, I was uh, when you're out in Europe. Yeah, uh, were you in France? Or? Yeah, we, yeah, we were in Paris for a few days and. It was, uh, yeah, he, he's a really, really, like, awesome, like, down-to-earth dude. Was, That's great, man. Cool. Yeah, yeah and so he, he translated the whole book, and I've had other people do that with us in, in the past, and I've been skeptical, like, I, don't, I, I have no way to verify whether or not this is legitimate, but he gave us a bunch of, like, he wrote to us and gave us a bunch of ways to verify that it was a legitimate, and not just legitimate, but very solid translation mm-hmm. of the book. And so... Uh, we we gave that out to everyone, so if you want to check out uh, a copy of the book, but we'll send you a copy uh, as well, uh, Jared. If if you want either the ebook copy or a physical copy, it's it's totally up to you. But this is an excerpt from the fifth chapter. It's pretty short, but it talks about me simplifying or my my process simplifying. The world is clearer as of late. The last six months have been spent simplifying, paring down, a slow process. By now, I've abandoned a shed load of material possessions, maybe 80% of my belongings, maybe more. Shedding the excess, tossing a few items each day, donating to charities and selling stuff on eBay. I started small. I asked myself, what if you removed one material possession, just one from your life, each day for a month? What would happen? The result? 
I unloaded way more than 30 items in the first 30 days, like way, way more. It became a kind of personal challenge discovering what I could get rid of, what I could get out of my way, how many unneeded things I could remove from my hoard. I searched my rooms and closets, cabinets and hallways, car and office, rummaging for items to part with, retaining only the things I needed. Pondering each artifact in my apartment, I'd ask simple questions like, does this thing add value to my life? I learned that once you gain momentum, once you feel the benefits of removing the clutter from your life, embracing minimalism gets easier by the day. The more you do it, the freer and happier and lighter you feel, and the more you want to throw overboard. A few shirts led to half a closet. A few DVDs led to deep-sixing almost an entire library of discs. A few decorative items led to junk drawers who shed their adjective. It's a beautiful cycle. The more action you take, the more you want to take action. So, Sean, I'm going to hand you this copy. If you can send this to Jared, or if he wants the audiobook version, we don't have it yet, but... Uh, we have our very talented uh, narrator who has done our other two books, Minimalism and Essential. Um, Justin Mollick is working on the final audiobook version of Everything That Remains, and what I've heard from it so far is absolutely stunning. He is, he is unbelievable. He's such a, a good narrator, and he's doing my part and Ryan's part in the book with a different voice, and it sounds so, so good. So looking forward to sharing that with you all. Oh, go ahead. Well, uh, just, just real quick to, to sum it up there. I, 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 so basically, I started small, and I didn't know where I was going, but it took me about eight months to simplify my life. And the people at work started noticing, wow, you seem less stressed, you seem much calmer in life. And, and these two events just happened to you. Your mom died, your marriage ended, and, and you're not supposed to be happy. But then Ryan came to me one day, and, and Ryan and I have been best friends since we were, were fat little fifth graders. And he came to me and he said, why the hell are you so happy? And, and it's not like I jumped up and said, look at me, I, I'm becoming a minimalist and you must too. I was doing that to my friends. No, I, I, I was never out preaching or proselytizing. People started noticing the benefits. And that opened up the door for me to talk about minimalism w- with Ryan. And, and, you know, he had a lot of crap. So I thought maybe it was, it was, a, good, it was a, good way, a good way to start talking about you know, dealing with the discontent in your life was with dealing with the stuff. Yeah, I'll tell you, that excerpt that you read, um, the one thing that stands out the most, and I will, oh, I, like, when we're having an event and someone asks, you know, how do I get started? Uh, uh, what can I do? Like, what's, what's, the best, what's the best play to start? You know, getting rid of the one day um, or the one item a day for 30 days, uh-huh. like, that's such a beautiful way to start because, you know, as you were reading there from the book, you you go out to throw out one DVD and then all of a sudden it's like you get rid of a whole entire collection. Right. So it's like you start with this you know this this attitude thinking small, and by the end of the month if you stick to it you get rid of rid of you get, <laughs> <laughs> you get rid of way more uh, items than uh, than thirty items for sure, man. Now that's like that's that's advice that I give people all the time. But yeah, I mean, for me, uh, of course, it started with the packing party. Again, uh, skip through the next like two minutes if you don't want to hear about the packing party. If you've already heard about it, um, but yeah, uh, when I went to Josh and asked him, like, "All right, great, I want to be a minimalist. Uh, how, how how do I do this? Like, wh- what should I do now?" Um, because I didn't want to pare down my items slowly like Josh. I'm more of like a you know instant gratification uh, type of guy, especially back then. Um, so I wanted faster results. And very Josh, alpha male American. Yeah. So Josh and I, we started uh, this this thing called a packing party. We came up with this idea where I would pack up all my belongings. Well, just to be clear, everyone, 
I came up with the idea of packing, <laughs> and Ryan came up with the idea of party. Yeah, you put party at the end of anything, it makes it way more fun. <laughs> so, so yeah, um, I spent, uh, yeah, how, how long was this, like nine hours, eight hours, something like that? Yeah, it was, it was all day, basically. You, you pretended you were moving, and we boxed up everything. Everything, man. like clothes, kitchenware, towels, TVs, yeah, everything. And Even then the furniture, man. We put your sheets over the furniture so it was inaccessible. Yeah, yeah, and... Um, yeah, it was really weird, man. Like closets being empty and like the sound of nothing being <laughs> being in its place, like everything all of a sudden's more echoey. It was really weird. Yeah, sound of simplicity. So I started unpacking things over the next 21 days. And you can imagine that first day I unpacked like a toothbrush and bed and bed sheets and clothes for work and uh you know, of course my internet, like all my pacifiers came out right away. <laughs> um but yeah, after those three weeks I had eighty percent of my stuff still sitting in boxes. And I think, you know, that is where I realized I was onto something. Because I had I had a few different thoughts rattling around. Like one was wow, here's tens of th- thousands of dollars worth of things that I've brought into my life to make me happy, and none of it's doing its job. In fact, if you were to ask me to list what was in those boxes, I, I, I doubt I'd be able to uh, name at least 50% of it. Like, I hardly even knew what was inside those boxes. And then the other thing I thought, too, was like, wow, if I hadn't spent all this money on this stuff, I could have actually saved some money. Maybe I wouldn't be as uh, much into debt as I was at the time. Um, and when you're in debt, the problem is is that your time is already allocated for. So then I started thinking about, like, wow, I can totally free up my time if I stop being such a stinking, you know, consumer. Like I can, right. I can totally free up my, my money. And, and, and a lot of times that means you can free up a lot of your time. You're making this connection for the first time, really. Yeah. So, I mean, I really, really just thought to myself, okay, I, I'm onto something here. I'm going to keep going with it. And, you know, we started the minimalists.com. I went to Josh. I'm like, dude, We've got to get this story out there, man. This is this about is, a month after after the whole packing party. Yeah, right? this is some amazing information. There's there's some good good findings here. I don't see this perspective online. So yeah, we did what any two dudes would do. We we started a blog, and yeah. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, the the email started to come in a little bit here and there. Uh-huh. Even though like that first month, what we had like 52 readers or something. Yeah, when I finally figured out how to like check the traffic, it was like 52 people. Yeah, and. Uh, after those 52 readers, we certainly started to get some feedback. People would send us emails, and they were really positive. Like, we were making a difference in people's lives. It was freaking awesome, man. Yeah. Like, I thought to myself, okay, like, I know that I want to add as much value as I can to people's lives. I want to change people's perspectives in a positive way as much as I can. Like, I had always been passionate about that. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I like saw— Back in the corporate world, managing people, that, that's one of the things I remember you really, really get off on was, was helping people go from this— this yeah, underperformer or person who is in trouble to being like employee of the month. Yeah, yeah. dude. Like I absolutely loved it. So, so I, I was like, all right, I'm, I'm totally invested in this because I can add value to more people. And then, you know, after several months, well, the email started to pour in. And since I had always had this, you know, passion just for adding, adding value to people's lives, which is, it's so, it's so cliche, right? Like, what do you want to do with your life? What's your passion? I like to help people. And like, that's what I would have said back then. But you know, I actually found a really amazing way to do this, to to not just help people, but to help millions of people. And you know, I will continue to do this as long as it continues to add value. But, but yeah, I mean, as soon as I realized the benefits, um, not just for myself, but the benefits that other people were getting, uh, that's, that's when I, really, really um, got fully invested. 
And, you know, he asked, was it a gradual thing? Yeah, I mean, of course it was gradual. Um, you know, we didn't have, it wasn't like we came up with this, okay, we're getting rid of all of our stuff. And then like, you know, everything hit the headlines, two, two single white men give up all their things. And I mean, it wasn't like this viral thing that went out, man. It was no. a very, it was a very slow, slow build. And I'm really grateful for that, man. Yeah, because, you know, if we would have started out with a million, you know, a million podcast listeners or whatever, I don't think it would have been as successful, but no. because, Gosh, you know, it started no. with 52, then it turned into 500, then 5,000, and then, you know, 50,000. It was such a slow, gradual build that it was really, it's like we were, it's like we were constantly, and we still are constantly getting a lot of practice in. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm like, I am so grateful that it's, it's been a, uh, a gradual build, but, but yes, Jared, I hope that you enjoy our book, Everything That Remains. I'm sure we'll add a lot of value to your life. Yeah, and then minimize it afterward. Don't, don't, you, actually, I think you'll figure that out once you read the pages of me getting rid of uh, – talk about getting rid of my, my 2,000 books that I had. You know, let someone else hold on to it because the, the value isn't in the artifact itself. The, 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 I shouldn't say let someone else hold on to it. Let someone else get value from it. The value is in the words, the experience of, of reading it. So I, I do hope you, you find value in that. And uh, just to go back to some influences, or actually maybe we can, we can talk about this later, but the people who influenced me early on were the people I just mentioned. So Colin Wright, who has a great blog called ExileLifestyle.com. Uh, Leo Babalta, ZenHabits.net is another great place to go. Uh, Joshua Becker, BecomingMinimalist.com. And Courtney Carver, BeMoreWithLess.com. Those are all great places to, to get started. You can also find links to many of our favorite minimalist blogs and websites over at theminimalists.com. We'll put a link to our favorite links in, in the show notes. I think it's theminimalists.com slash links, but uh, I'm not 100% sure about that. So Sean is, is making a note of that right now. And uh, he'll he'll put that in in the show notes to this episode. Yeah, I was gonna say, Sean, um, put in the uh, theminimalist.com slash twenty one days just for those who haven't heard about the packing party. I could certainly go on for ten or fifteen minutes about that story, but uh, yeah, but and yeah, I, I gave you guys the cliff notes. If you if you haven't heard of the story and you want to uh, dive into it, you can certainly go to theminimalist.com slash twenty one days. And then you brought up Colin's uh, website, Exile Lifestyle. Uh-huh. He has an awesome essay. Um, that I, I forgot about. I saw like somebody tweeted or something the other day, uh-huh. but it was, uh, it's, it's called minimalism explained. It's exilelifestyle.com slash minimalism, uh, dash explained. Uh-huh. And it's just a beautiful, uh, definition of what is minimalism. I dig that. Yeah. I dig that. Okay. Well, speaking of the packing party, Ryan, I, I saw while you were gone, I did a parenting episode and, uh, because I, f- I was looking for like, is there one topic I could talk about just by myself while you were gone? And th- this gal who was in college, she she said, you know what, you know, I, I have I have a ten month old daughter, I believe it was, and yeah, I just can't pack up all my stuff like you guys did. And I said, well, first off, that that's yeah, I, that's disempowering, saying I can't do something. She said, she actually used the word impossible. It's impossible for me to do that. Well, the truth is, it's not impossible for you to, to move somewhere with a ten year old, right, or a ten ten month old, or whatever. It, it's and that's all you did was pretend you were moving, basically. Right. And so, uh, but is it more difficult for someone who has kids or with a family to do a packing party? Yeah, absolutely. But that could just because it's more it's more difficult. That may mean that it's more worthwhile. Mm. I learned that lesson from Joshua Becker early on. But before I had a a partner that I live with, or or before I had a kid. Yeah, you know, he, he was talking about like, yeah, it was much more difficult for me to embrace this with my family, but that's why I did it because it was for my family. 
And, and so thinking about that, so whether you go down the road of a packing party or you do what I did with one thing a day or you go somewhere in the middle, the 30-day minimalism game, we've had tens of thousands of people play. You can check it out on our Instagram page or, or Twitter or Facebook, or you can just go to the minimalists.com slash game. If you search hashtag men's game. Yeah, M-I-N-S. Yeah, you're going you're gonna to find tens of thousands of people yeah, talking about it. Yeah, and so so you can let go. Uh, we, we found a way to inject some friendly competition and, and let go together with some people. And over the course of a month, whoever goes the longest wins. So you can play that game with some people. Make decluttering less boring. Make it fun and exciting with, uh, with that friendly competition. Our next question is from Lindsay in another one of my favorite cities, Ryan. <laughs> Dayton, Ohio. It's our hometown. What's Lindsay have to say? I am the sole proprietor of a cleaning and organizational business, which focuses on home economics. I've been doing this for going on four years now, and there's been some trends I've noticed with my clientele. One being that they're relatively young, most of them being in their late 20s to mid-30s with enough income to be able to accumulate the items they're feeling overwhelmed by. Two, their parents were very busy while they were growing up, usually hiring help themselves to manage the household, which usually left their children without the life experience of keeping an orderly environment and damaging their ability to know how to balance experiences with things in a healthy way. So I guess my question is, why has this happened? And do you think that this is parental neglect? And do you feel like this form of neglect has affected a generation of people? And what can we do to fix it? Dayton, Ohio. It's, it's like my top ten favorite cities, only because it has – one of the one of my favorite sushi places I've ever been to, um, in Troy, Ohio. Yeah, Sakai. Sakai, and then uh, it's like a little strip mall, but it's great. Yeah, Thai Nine, the word Thai, and then the number nine uh, in downtown Dayton, Ohio. It's best Thai food in the country I've ever had. Yeah, same here. Um, we've we've had Thai food in probably forty states at this point. Yeah, I, yeah, I can't even tell you how many pla- how many Thai places we've been to. Like trying to replicate that experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, yeah, of course, Press the coffee shop is is pretty awesome. Mm, amen. Yeah, and then what's the other one up there? The uh, uh, coffee shop. Yeah, it opened warehouse up four left. Yeah, 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 up in Vandalia. Yeah, I was just there the other, the a couple weeks ago. Good, Rub good it in, why don't you? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, well, Lindsay doesn't want to know about the restaurants. No, though, she doesn't. We've she given doesn't. her the but, restaurant but, tour of Dayton right now. But check out the restaurants. But no, to your question, Lindsay. You know this. I think this phenomenon. Well, I don't think. I mean, according to uh, you know the Bureau of Labor Statistics, mm-hmm. is that right? Um, they uh, this started to happen in like the late '80s, and there's a huge, huge increase during the '90s. Where in 1998, uh, it went to the it got to the point where um, 51% of married coupled families with children had both parents working. So this is the first time in history, 1998, where you had the ma- you had the majority of uh, married couples with children, where you had the majority of of uh, both parents working. And, and right now we're sitting at about um, 60%. So it is getting more and more. Like, why did this happen? You know, I don't know why it happened. I'm sure it has. it's a barrage of influences. It could be, uh, you know, TV programming mixed with advertisements, especially, like, when it comes to kids. Like, I mean, that's grown exponentially over the last, uh, you know, couple couple decades for sure. So certainly that might have an influence on it. Or uh, maybe it was just something in the water. I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, either way, at a certain point, married couples started started to see an opportunity to obtain, you know, a nice house with a nice car and a pool in the backyard as long as both parents worked. Mm-hmm. And I saw this a lot, man. Like where my grandma lived uh, in Mainville, Ohio, she had this – She again, she has a pretty simple home. Um, it, it was in the middle of a farm field – 
where this like little cul-de-sac had been developed. And then of course, you know, five years later or so, the whoever owned that land sold the rest of it off behind her. Acre I don't even know how many acres, but there has to be if I had to guess, it's like, you know, 500 to 1,000 houses, like, back in the... It's just, like, a maze of of, of subdivisions. And yeah. anyone from the Midwest um, uh, can... can They know exactly what I'm Suburbs talking about. Suburbs and exurbs. Yeah, like, in Montana, you, you know, you get to a subdivision, it's very easy to find your way in and out. Like, you get into the Midwest, you can get lost in subdivisions. It's it's oh, unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. But but uh, my grandma brought this up, actually, like, uh, again, like, back in the 90s when, when all this development started to happen. She's like, you know, I got neighbors back here. Um, they've got three kids, and they got a nanny who hangs out with them all day. Both parents work. Uh-huh. I'm like, yeah, they have a pool and a nice car, but the parents are never home. Like, they basically are working towards this life that their kids can have. But, uh, you know, as she's saying this, I'm thinking, like, yeah, but they're, you're giving your kids the wrong stuff. Like, mm-hmm. You, mm-hmm. your kids need attention. They need your time. They need your presence. They don't need a bunch of presents, you know? Right, right. Yeah. So, so yeah, I, I, don't know, um, I don't know why. Uh, why it started, but it certainly it certainly did it certainly did happen. Um, and you know, I'm trying to answer all her questions here. So her her other question was: kids who don't have uh who don't have their parents around, you know, has this um basically affected an entire uh, generation? And I think that yes, I think that's a piece of it. And, and like, I'm not an expert by any stretch. Like, I'm not going to sit here and play Freud, uh, but. But I, I do think that it's certainly mixed with, uh, yes, that. It's mixed with overproduction. Um, again, it's mixed with the, the increasement in advertisements. And then I think another thing, dude, that really, really, really makes this um, attitude uh, prevail is reality TV, man. Like, reality TV started to become popular in, like, the early 2000s. And the problem is that the, these reality TV shows, it's all about – Look how wasted I can get. Look how much money I can spend. Look at all these things I can bring into my life. And I think they're getting better. Like there are there are some um I don't even like to call them reality TV shows because when I think reality TV, I think Kardashians, I think um, you know, uh the real world and whatever all those crazy reality shows are. But there are some like g- good reality shows out there now where it's um you know, it has like a feel-good message to it. It's not just all about the drama and spending money and, and doing a bunch of drugs and drinking a lot. Sure. Uh, but, you know, I think ultimately uh, the question she asked is the most important question is, you know, how do we fix this? And, you know, I believe that the way we can start to correct this is, well, first off, we need to start consuming less. And when we do that, we start to lead by example. And really, we just need to go out of our way to shun that compulsory uh, consumption attitude that has prevailed so much in our society. Now, if you're not playing Freud, then why did you ask me to sit on this couch? <laughs> That's for after the podcast. <laughs> you know what? I, um, I, I, I agree with you, Ryan. I, I think that this isn't necessarily parental neglect, but just because we're not neglecting something doesn't mean that we can't do better with that thing right mm. so so i think that's also true with our relationships and in particular our familial relationships and and our you know, parent son parent daughter relationships and so no I, I don't i don't think people are either intentionally or unintentionally necessarily neglecting their kids but i think overall we can strive to do better we can strive to be not perfect 
but we can strive to be the best versions of ourselves. And we're going to fail a lot through that process. And that failure uh, is, is going to give us the opportunity to learn from that. And it's important that we do learn from that because if we fail and we don't learn from that, that's real failure. Otherwise, it's just an opportunity to grow and, and, and you know, learn an a important lesson about parenting or about our interactions with, with children, but also to, to, learn, to, to learn and teach about success and priorities and how to have important, meaningful relationships in our lives. Many of our, our relationships are often birthed out of proximity or convenience. I mean, think about growing up, you know, Ryan, you and I got lucky in the sense that our relationship was initially birthed out of you know, proximity. We well, lived, you got lucky. <laughs> you, you, you know, I, I, we, we, we lived in the same town, but we were born, you were born in Knoxville, Tennessee. I was born in Dayton, Ohio, and we both went to high school in uh, Lebanon, Ohio, which is just south of Dayton, and, and through that process, with that proximity, we got to know each other, but there are... Uh, Ton, hundreds of other people who are in the same proximity we're not still friends with. Mm-hmm. Uh, we might be Facebook friends with some of them or, or whatever. And it's not that they're bad people or whatever. It's just that many of those people may not share my similar values or beliefs or interests or desires or, or just really it comes down to the same principles that, that you and I share. And we, you know, we wrote about that in, in our first book, Minimalism, Live a Meaningful Life, and, and really getting back to that. But what I'd love to send Lindsay a copy of, because we, I just touched a little bit on priorities and relationships and really success, uh, we have a book called Essential, uh, Essays by the Minimalist. It's a collection of 150 essays. It's out on audiobook right now. So, Sean, if you have any audible download codes, if we could send, uh, send Lindsay a copy of that, I think you'll really find uh, some value in that last chapter of the book. It's about success. And so... I think one of the things that I'm, I'm trying to do with Ella, now keep in mind, she's really young, she's three, is, is try to reframe what success looks like for her. And so whether it was this past Christmas, and yeah, I bought her some Christmas gifts, but uh, I got her a, a pack of gum and wrapped it up. They made like this huge fanfare, wrapped it up in multiple boxes, and so she's unwrapping all these different things. And she just learned to chew gum recently, and she loves gum. And the other thing she loves are Tic Tacs. You know, it's the reason she'll, if I start chewing a piece of gum, she'll walk with me and say, Josh, what does the inside of your mouth smell like? And so uh, for any, <laughs> <laughs> any of you that follow her on Twitter, at Ella Sandwich, knows some of the crazy stuff that she says. Anyway, um, she absolutely loves gum. And so I made it a whole event. But I also am trying to reframe that she gets gifts every day. Every day is a gift. Mm. And, and so whether it's the pack of gum or I How try, did she react when she got to the gum? Oh, she was so excited. That so, is awesome. Oh, it's my own pack? Like... Freak like freaking out like oh my god I, can I keep this in my room and <laughs> oh wow and, and so yeah she absolutely loved it and and we also uh, got her guitar uh, she she just loves um, uh, uh, playing guitar mm-hmm. yeah, she thinks she knows how to play and sing um, uh, let it go from which is ironic I guess but let it go from the Frozen soundtrack. <laughs> And so she did a. <laughs> Who con- doesn't love that song? <laughs> she she did a, a concert for us last night. Uh, she she set up all her stuffed animals. And, oh wow! And uh, that is so adorable. Man. And 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 sang "Let It Go" for us, strumming the guitar, which one of the strings broke immediately, and she was playing with five strings. Somehow she manages to pull it off still. 
<laughs> Standing ovation. <laughs> yeah, totally. Beck sent me a video this uh, this morning of it, uh, and uh, <laughs> just responded with, "It really went downhill after OK Computer." Oh wow! But that's... sorry, bad, in, <laughs> bad a, inside joke. That's a great um, inside joke. Anyway, my point being is is we. It, that that guitar isn't gifting a material possession in my view. Just like gifting a book isn't necessary. It's gifting the experience of, mm-hmm. of playing the the instrument. Mm-hmm. And so, what other instruments or tools do we have that we can use to augment our experiences? And then, how can we teach our kids to use those things as tools, those possessions, not to possess the possessions, but to hold on to those things as long as they are useful tools, but also be willing to let go. And Sean, I'm tempted to change the name of this episode to letting go because we're talking a lot today about letting go and our process of, of, of influence of, of letting go. So maybe we can talk about that afterward. But I think that, that really we, we can teach kids the benefits of letting go and how freeing that is. And that if is. we start now, it, they don't have to learn that lesson when, when they're 30 years old like Ryan and I did. That is so awesome, man. I'm, uh, that, like, that really, that is awesome. I, uh, I, uh, I, I'm on the verge of saying I envy your parenting experience, but in the same token, I also really love not being a parent. That's, I mean, I'm really mixed on that. Yeah, but, no, you've been that way for a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I've certainly leaned more towards the, the kids' side of it. Yeah, sure, well, I, I've always loved your, your viewpoint, because for me, until, until Ella came along, I said, no, I'm not going to be a parent, and then I met, I met Bex, and you know, Rebecca is just one of the, the most amazing people I've ever met in my life, and... Uh, so I fully embraced the fact that, you know, when I met her, she had a one-year-old kid and, and that's a huge part of her life. And so I, I dove in head first and mm-hmm. saying, this is not something I ever expected, but l- at least let me give it a shot and, and see how this works. But with you, you, you've always been like, man, if I have kids, that's going to be awesome. But if I don't have kids, that's going to be awesome. <laughs> and, uh, you know, being the, the perpetual optimist about, uh, about that in, in either direction, um, I've always really admired that. So, yeah, I think that if if you have kids and 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 you feel like you're neglecting the kids, mm. then that is just a warning sign. Yeah, maybe we can do something better. But also, don't feel like it has to be perfect. It's not ever going to be perfect. And the problem with perfection is if if your affinity for perfectionism is high, you will never actually do anything. You'll never achieve what you want to achieve because everything looks beautiful in your mind. Uh, but once you once you actually put it into play and into action, it's not never going to be as perfect as you initially conceived it. So maybe teach them to let go of the expectations as well, and 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 find more meaning in the process than in the completion of of the objective. Yeah, I, I think the only I'm looking at my notes here for this question that I wrote down beforehand, and the one note that I w- really want to add to this is that when parents neglect their kids, uh, they're leaving it up to really random influences to raise their kids. And what I mean by that is, is yes. I'm talking like television. I'm talking like the neighbor kids who also might be getting neglected and who knows where he's learning his stuff from, um, or kids at school, whatever it may be. There are these like random influences on children. And it is hard for them, especially as kids, to know what influences uh, to gravitate towards. And when you have a bunch of random other people on this periphery of your life to uh, influence you, well, you're, I think naturally, again, not trying to play Freud here, mm-hmm. but naturally I think you are uh, – you're comparing yourself. They are comparing themselves to others. Yes. Because it's like, okay, um, uh, uh, you know, I, I see Johnny jump up next door, 
and he's got you know two whistles, and I only have one whistle, mm-hmm. and he seems really really happy. Sure, uh, maybe I need two whistles. Well, maybe Johnny Jump Up's happy because his kids or his parents aren't neglecting him. Right. You know? So yeah, certainly. Um, if you, uh, I think what you said earlier was beautiful. Like if you feel like you're neglecting your kids, that's probably a warning sign. It doesn't mean that uh, you know life's over for them or you screwed up. It's just a matter of readjusting. Uh, what your parenting approach is, and of course, me not having kids, it's much easier said than done. Um, right. But yeah, I, I think it's a it's a warning sign. Your kids are going to be taught who's going to teach them. Yeah, is is ultimately what you were, what you were saying there. But also, uh, speaking of Johnny Jump Up and his two whistles, you also realize that the exterior life, and I think this is from the Dalai Lama. Uh, the exterior life is not an indication of the interior life because someone appears happy doesn't mean that they necessarily are. And, and especially in today's Instagram culture, and we'll get to that later Amen. today, I think. I've got a recommendation later. But uh, in today's Instagram culture, everyone is, is not showing just the best version of their life. In fact, that's, I think, what we try to do with social media is, is show the, the putting our best foot forward. And I think that's okay. But show... The, the problem is when we, we are showing faux versions of, of the best version of our life, mm. right? People aren't necessarily living in real life how they're living on social media, and that can become problematic, but we could also use that to inspire ourselves. So if you're doing something that's incongruous with the person who you are, then maybe you're, what you're showing on social media is that's the person I want to aspire to be like, then maybe we need to start living like that person that we aspire to be like. Mm. Our next voicemail is from Megan in Western Mass. Hi, this is Megan from Western Massachusetts. I was curious um, if you think minimalist is a new movement that is happening right now, or do you think it's something that has kind of already, you know, it's going back to a simpler time? Um, And my other question was, I was curious if you thought that you would have become a minimalist if, you didn't have the opportunities to quote-unquote have it all before. I think basically minimalism reworks these these old ideas, whether it's from the, the Stoics or major world religions or Thoreau and Emerson and the Transcendentalists. It, it reworks the, these old ideas to solve new problems, namely uh, unchecked consumption. We, we're in this post-industrial age, especially you know, if you see if you look at it like the the bar graph. Uh, post-1950 especially, and, and then, well, especially in the 90s, this huge spike of, of cheap consumer goods that have flooded our lives in, in the Western world, uh, and many of those goods being made in third world countries, we, it's, it's a new problem. We've never had the same problem before, but there are old ideas. There are like these old tools that you can use to fix this new problem, and so it reworks these ideas, and I can talk about some of the influences for me in terms of, of stoicism. I mean, I, I've gone back, and this wasn't an initial influence, but I've gone back and it's really solidified my simple living viewpoint, uh, whether it's uh, Epictetus, who is just my personal favorite uh, stoic, uh, and you can go back and read his book, uh, The Discourses, and uh, people like—by the way, so so— uh, Epictetus was a slave who eventually became free, and so you had that perspective. And then you have another Stoic like Marcus Aurelius, who was literally the most powerful emperor, richest person in the world, 
and also had these same stoic tenets. And so you can see it from both perspectives. And that's why I think minimalism really resonated with me early on when I saw people like like Colin Wright or or Joshua Becker. I, I saw people who were living different lives, young, old, white, black, rich, poor. It didn't necessarily matter where people were on the socioeconomic spectrum. What resonated with people was how, how can I use my resources more effectively? And so I mentioned earlier, I grew up poor. Well, the reason that we were discontented wasn't because we didn't have a lot of money. That may have been part of it for sure, but it wasn't the whole picture. The reason we were so discontented is because we made repeated bad decisions with the money we did have. And of course, as I climbed the corporate ladder throughout my 20s, I started making bad decisions repeatedly. And now I just had more money to make bad decisions. And then when I didn't have enough money, people were willing to give me credit because I had supposedly good income, right? And so I would make even more bad decisions with debt. I would finance everything, uh, you know, finance a necktie that I bought and you know, put it on a credit card. It's just, just the strangest model that we have. And we're constantly, constantly getting ourselves in, into debt, making these bad decisions. And so whether you have a lot of money or you're just scraping by, what I've learned is that we need to be as intentional as we can be with the resources we have. Is it wrong to make money? No, not necessarily. But I can tell you this, my, my life is no longer driven primarily by the need to earn an income. It's driven by my values and I find a path within those values to be able to to earn a living and and I think that that's an important thing and so if we look at if we look at the problem that that minimalism solves it is a new problem we are faced with unchecked consumption we are faced with 500,000 discrete bits of input every single day how do we filter that out well, I think minimalism is not the tool. It is a tool in our toolbox that we can use to, to live a, a more intentional life. And then I think the second part to her question, Ryan, she was talking about... Uh, the hypothetical, would you still be a minimalist right. if you weren't the minimalist? I mean, I, I, we, I mean, no offense to her, but we get asked this all the time. Sure. And I got to say, first off, I like about 50% of hypothetical questions. <laughs> <laughs> and the other half of them, I'm like, well, it's not that I don't like them, but it's like, how could you even possibly know? It would be like if we didn't meet each other right. in the fifth grade. Uh-huh. Like, would we have been friends in high school? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, it's I, I, I don't know. Yeah, it's like I, I, really, I really don't know the answer to that. But I found those three words to be really empowering. It's just I don't know. Because it doesn't take all responsibility off me, but it does – it gives me the responsibility to, to maybe learn something. But if I truly don't know, because he, when someone asks me a hypothetical question, I tend to answer with a hypothetical question. I say, what if hypothetical questions didn't exist? Wow. <laughs> so, so, yeah, what do you think, man? Well, I, you know what? I, I, my, my honest answer is I, I don't know. Now, now, the way you posited the question is a little bit different. Would I still be a minimalist if we weren't the minimalists? My answer to that is yes, without a doubt, because I was a minimalist before we were the minimalists. I, I simplified my life to a point where I identified as I, I guess I'm a minimalist now. You know, I've, I've gotten rid of 90% of my possessions, everything that I own uh, adds value to my life, meaning it serves a purpose or brings me joy. Everything else is, is out of the way. And so would I be a minimalist if we weren't the minimalist? Yes. Now, the, the other part of her question was, uh, would I have become a minimalist if I didn't have the, the chance to, quote, have it all? Mm. And, and my answer to that is, I don't know, but I do know that minimalism, I've seen minimalism help so many people. When we go out on, on tour, I mean, mo most of you who have seen the documentary, 
know that um, you know we we've seen people from all walks of life, great grandmothers who are 92 years old, who bring several generations of, of their family to events, who are looking to still live a more meaningful life, who come up when they're 92 years old and say, I'm just simplifying my life for the first time, mm-hmm. or kids who bring their parents to our events, or, or um, the, the boxer in Belfast in Northern Ireland who was like, yeah, thank you for helping me realize that that you know, just because I'm poor doesn't mean that I'm, I'm worthless. Or the homeless gal in Adelaide, uh, Australia, who came up to us and said, I realized that even though I was homeless, I personally was making bad decisions with, with my life, and I needed to turn it around. Thanks to your message, I found one of your books at the, at the library that I was staying in, and, and that, that helped me turn it around. I'm no longer homeless. And what does that tell me? It tells me that different people can benefit from this. Not, I don't think minimalism is necessarily for everyone. I think if you're content with the status quo and you continue to be content with the status quo, then minimalism is probably not going to help you out much because you're going to feel like you're depriving yourself. But if you're not happy with the, the so-called American dream or the values that are being propagated on that glowing screen that's in your living room, then maybe, just maybe, minimalism is a tool that you can pull out of the toolbox to live a more simple life. And by the way, if minimalism is too subversive or too radical of a word for you, pick a different ism. Call it simplism. Call it intentionalism. Call it essentialism. Call it whatever you want, as long as it helps you maintain or helps you achieve, retain, and maintain the lifestyle that that you're looking for. Yeah, yeah. I I, I don't think I really have anything to add. I just you know I'd like to think that yes, I would still. Uh, be like D, the boxer from Northern Ireland, uh-huh. who, yeah, he came up to me and he was like, man, thank you so much for making this event free. I wouldn't be able to to be here otherwise. Like, I'm so poor. And, like, just the the genuineness of of how he took this message and applied it to his life where he has hardly anything and he's able to uh, have confidence and uh, feel like he's living a meaningful life. Like, yeah, I, I love to think that I would, I would take on an, an attitude like D did. Yeah, and I'll tell you this, I hardly have anything too, but I have everything because of that. And, and my, my willingness to let go, I, there's, there are no physical possessions where you could take it from me and it would crush me, you know, I, I, just because it's a thing. And, and all of these things are replaceable, and they don't mean, they generally don't mean what we give, the meaning that we give to them. We, we tie so much significance and sentimentality and, and meaning to the stuff but it has only the meaning that you give to it. Mm. And if you realize that for me, the only meaning is I can use this to maybe improve my life as a tool. Otherwise it's essentially useless. And, and that's a good feeling and being willing to let go because of it is it's so freeing. You know, the fewer things you have, the more freedom you have in, in, in many cases. Amen. Well, uh, speaking of the values, Ryan, we talked about you know uh, living a life that, that aligns with, with our values. Uh, we, we wrote about that in our first book, Minimalism, Live a Meaningful Life. And Megan, I would love to, to give you a copy of that. I think based on, on your two questions there, you'll find a lot of value in, in, in getting back to where do we go after letting go of the stuff? Because the, the material possessions and letting go of them and starting to deal with the stuff, that's the initial step, but it is not the end result. You can go home 
get rid of all your stuff and be miserable. The question is, what am I going to focus on now? And Ryan came up, Ryan and I came up with these, these five values that we, we, they're sort of the principles in our lives. And we constantly go back to these five values. And so Sean, if you can send her the audio book of that, uh, get, get her maybe an audible download code, or if she wants a, a ebook version or print version, you can, you can send that to her as well. All right, well, we would love to hear what you have to say. So if you have a comment about uh, letting go or influences or any of the questions asked so far on today's show, including minimalism tips for how you handle those topics, then uh, leave us a voicemail, 406-219-7839. And, of course, we'll air our favorite comments and tips at the end of the next episode. And here is a tip for you. Write down your message before you call. It will help you articulate your point and get it across, and it will increase your uh, chance of being on the show. Okay. Let's move on to our hashtag Ask the Minimalists lightning round where we answer questions from social media. There's no space between hash and tag. <laughs> in this script, there is. <laughs> no, there's not. I'm reading it. Wait, why'd you just put a space on it? <laughs> All right, everyone. We are on Twitter and Instagram at The Minimalists and Facebook.com slash The Minimalists. And during the lightning round, Ryan and I do our best to answer each question with just a short, shareable, less than 140 character response. We also put the text to these minimal maxims in the show notes so you can copy and share our pithy answers on social media if you'd like. Minimal maxims. I see what you did there. Yeah, yeah. That's clever, man. So clever. All right. Remember in Fight Club when uh, Ed Norton uh, is sitting... I have to say Ed Norton because the character doesn't have a name. He's sitting next to to Tyler Durden. And and he shares some, like... Clever witticism with him. Oh, yes. Uh, Single-serving friends. Single-serving friends on the airline, yeah. By the way, for those of you who... uh, One of the most popular things on our website, it's been on there since, I think, 2010, the very very first month, is uh, Tyler Durden is a minimalist. If you go to theminimalists.com slash FC, which stands for Fight Club, you can see 25 minimalist quotes from uh, the book and movie uh, Fight Club. Anyway, he's sitting next to... He's sitting next to, to Tyler Durden and, and makes the little quip about um, single-serving friends. You've been a great single-serving friend. And he nice goes, to you, meet you. You know, just being clever. And, and uh, Tyler Durden looks over at him and he said, how's that working out for you? He said, <laughs> he said what? Being clever. <laughs> yeah. He goes, oh, it's good. He goes, oh, good. Then you should keep it. Yeah. Yeah, it's a uh, great scene. Obviously a great movie. Uh, we Ryan, well, so, uh, wait. So Tyler Durden is sort of the anti-consumerist, uh, but but very fringe, obviously, crazy person. Uh, I think Ryan and I are maybe the sane version, like where we we aren't as subversive. We don't want to take down the the corporations. We just want to help people change their own mind. <laughs> and and so That's yeah, a good comparison. <laughs> Ryan's the really kind. Which one of us is Tyler Durden again? I don't know, man. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, let's let's move on to these. I constantly these... question if 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 you're real. I mean, uh, <laughs> I question whether or not I'm real too. Maybe this is all a simulation. <laughs> all right, all right. On to hashtag Ask the Minimalist lightning round. Cassandra, she wrote to us, "What do you do when someone gifts you something thoughtful but you don't need it?" All right. My my simple response here is, let it go. It's just stuff. Amen. My, my pithy response is this. 
when you receive a gift, it's yours now. You can do whatever you want with it. Yeah, I think that's important. Like, it's interesting if I got the pack of gum for Ella and said, you know, this is your pack of gum, but you can't chew it. <laughs> what? <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm really going to be offended if you chew this gum. This is going to be an antique one day. <laughs> you, you can't have your gum and chew it. You know, when I was in Florida, my grandma, um, oh, God love her. Like, she's just, she's just a beautiful, beautiful woman. One of the most supportive people in my family. In fact, I'd say the most supportive person in my family. Uh-huh. Um, I was leaving, and she gives me a gift bag with, like, tissue paper. She's like, here, I just, wanted, I just thought of you, and I wanted to get you this. And it was a paperweight. <laughs> And it was a beautiful, it was a beautiful idea, because she, she's like, you know, I, I, and she understands, you know, the, the minimalists, and she's seen her documentary, so she, she understands that, like, I'm not going to hold on to something if I don't use it. And she's like, I thought it'd be a good gift for you, because I'm sure you're surrounded by paper. And I'm like, no, I'm not. No. I'm, I don't really hold on to a lot of papers. Uh, did you talk um, about your scanning party? I said, but I, yeah. I was like, but, you know, I really appreciate the, 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 the thought of this gift. She's like, oh, yeah, it's a thought that counts. The funny thing is, though, so I open it up, like, uh, you know, I get the paperweight out, and it's in this container, like, you know, and like it's packaging or whatever. Uh-huh. And I take it out, and as soon as I take it out, like, well, let me preface this a little bit more. Um, on it, it said, it was a really nice quote, and this is why she got it for me. It was like, you know, something along the lines of, uh, today is the best day. Like, you know, something really pithy like that, that really did, it was a nice saying. So I, I take it out of the container and the thing that was on the bottom of it where, you know, it shows through the paperweight, it just like falls off. And I'm like, is this supposed to be like interchangeable? Or she's like, no, I just think it's broken. <laughs> a broken paperweight. So God love her, she gave me a broken paperweight. Um, <laughs> And and I just I just looked at her. I'm like Oma. That's, that's uh, German for grandmother. I'm like Oma. Like I love you so much. And the 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 fact that you went out of your way to try and get me something that you really really thought that I could use that just means a lot to me. I'm gonna be honest with you though. Probably not gonna use this. And she was like, Oh, okay. Like you you don't think so? And I'm like, No, Oma. I'm like I, I love you. And um, when I was there too, she, she has all these beer steins. Uh-huh. I know I've talked about the beer stein before in the podcast that she gave me when I was in high school. And I was, like, admiring these beer steins. And she's like, grab one. Take one home with you if you want. And I was like, I will take you up on that offer. Not right now, though. I was like, but eventually, I will definitely, like, I will take another beer sign from you because it does mean a lot to me. And the other beer sign I have is totally functional. Mm-hmm. And I would love to have, like, an actual beer sign to drink beer out of. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, so uh, uh, I was like, you know, I will totally take you up on that one day, but I don't want to pack extra stuff in my luggage, and I really don't have room for it right now. I was like, but... But certainly, uh, if they're around in 10 years or so and I have a need for one, I will grab one. Mm. Um, but anyway, going back to the paperweight, I'm like, you know, Oma, I don't think I'm going to use this, honestly. Oh, you don't think you're going to use it? I'm like, no. I was like, how about if I find it a really good home? And she was like, yeah. She's like, that, w- that would be nice if you can just find it a good home. Uh, so like, I just stopped at a donation store and, like, donated it real quick. And, gotcha. And hopefully someone will... Uh, get a lot of value out of that paperweight and, and glue it back together. <laughs> it, it reminds me of uh, on our Facebook page, Jessica, who who finds new articles for us about minimalism and simple living and intentionality and uh, uh, Jess Ness, as we call her. By the way, she has a great podcast for those of you just tuning in. Uh, it's called The Mind Palace, her and her friend Melissa. You can check that out. We'll put a link to it in the show notes. Anyway, uh, she put up this article of, 
Nordstrom's, Ryan. Nordstrom sold out of the $85 leather-covered rock. Rock. It's unbelievable. But And people didn't get it right away either. Like, they yeah. were like, But you do you know what all those proceeds go to, though? No, I don't. It's actually a good cause. Like, okay. I mean, it's really it's, – it's like a really – it's kind of upside down because – the le- the rock in a leather case, I'm sure the majority of people that bought that at Nordstrom's uh-huh. weren't aware of where the money was going. Sure. But I was reading an article about it, and uh, it goes towards, like, cancer research. Like, there was a doctor, essentially, okay. who realized, like, wow, I can sell something really stupid in Nordstrom's uh-huh. and make a ton of money from it. Oh, that makes me feel a lot better about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. It makes me feel a lot better about it, too, when I read that. Because to me, it was, like, the perfect metaphor for consumerism. <laughs> yes. Well, well, it still is. Yeah. I mean, it, it, we're, we're buying rocks, essentially. Yeah. Uh, and the question is, am I going to use this? And is that rock going to be useful? Dude, it's almost as ridiculous as the artesian wood. If, if, if any of our listeners out there have not seen the YouTube video, it's total satire uh-huh. of artesian firewood. Artisanal. Artisanal, that's what it yeah, is. Yeah. Am I not saying that right? Uh, it's artisanal firewood, yeah. It's, uh, what's, what, it's, it's, it's from the CBC. They, I think the CBC put it together. So funny. Yeah. Oh, we'll, my God. We'll put a link to that. It's, it's really great because at first it seems like – there are just a couple dudes in Portland who are making artisanal firewood for like $400 a pound or something. Anyway, I think we have some other questions, Ryan. Oh, yes, we do. This one's from I Hate Florida. I disagree already. <laughs> <laughs> what one thing was the hardest to give up? Uh, let's see here. For me, my, my short answer is letting go of our attachment to stuff is difficult but necessary. So it's not the stuff. But that key word there, our attachment to the stuff. Because once you let go of the attachment, it's so much easier to let go of the stuff. My answer is this. Identity is one of the hardest things to let go of. It takes a lot of work to see ourselves differently. And whenever we get asked this, I mean, that's the one thing that's always like, you know, our go-to is like the identity was the hardest thing mm-hmm. to get rid of. You're so tied up. I mean, the first someone that asks you when you, first thing someone asks you when you meet them is what do you do? And then we recite whatever the title is on our business card or what our vocation is. And all of all of us as a human being becomes, I am the store manager for the Westchester store, uh, uh, you know, whatever. And it's like, Okay, that's a part of, of what you do, but the question is so broad. What do you do? I drink water, I go to concerts, I take trips, I have a family. Like, what do you mean, what do you do? What we're really asking is something different. And so I found the best way to, to change the identity thing is start to answer a different question. Instead of saying what you do, start talking about what you're passionate about and then reframe the question back to them. Ask them what they are passionate about. Carl writes in, how can I be a minimalist in a living space with someone who is less minimalist than I am. Well, the easy, you just minimize your roommate. Get rid of your roommates. <laughs> don't take that advice. <laughs> no, not at all. My, my short answer is three words. Don't preach, teach. Amen. My answer is showing respect is the best method of persuasion. I actually learned that from Rob Bell when he talked about the, oh, what was it, diet? Oh, I forget the name of it. What? The the colors that um, basically it's like it shows where someone is in their life when it comes to their philosophy. You've got people who are very like dogmatic. You have people who are, um, uh, you know, more concerned about the environment than their dogmatics. And it's and it kind of has this um, 
and they were associated with different colors. Man, I should not have went down this road because I cannot remember <laughs> the the name of it. I, I don't either. But I know exactly book. what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. but essentially, the, the whole what I'm getting at is is he was talking about like how do you get someone to move like basically a witch doctor uh-huh. who is like has voodoo and they are you know uh, pushing pins and dolls. Like, how do you get that person to move past that and understand that pushing pins and dolls probably isn't going to do anything? Um, the way you do that is is you support them. Mm-hmm. You encourage them to continue to do what they're doing, and that is really the only way you can kind of help them to move past it because only, you know, someone who has very strict beliefs or very strict values, uh, trying to fight those values or to fight those beliefs, it, it will never, it will never move someone towards you. If anything, it will just help them to cling on uh, to their values and beliefs even stronger. Yeah. So that's why I say like showing respect is the best. Uh, it's the best method of persuasion. I totally agree. And, and and Ryan, just to add on to that, man, what I, what I would say is, you can you can respect them and, and be supportive as long as it's not damaging someone else. If someone's going out and killing course, kittens or something, you, you're not expected to to support that person in their endeavors and what they're trying to work through by killing kittens, but but if it's if it's relatively innocuous or if it's just different from you, that's okay too. And, and while it's hard to respect that because you might have different beliefs, so Ryan, you and I have very similar, if not the exact same values, but we are radically different people. We have different personalities. You look at us on a Myers Briggs thing; we're, we're almost exact opposites. We have a pedagogical relationship, but uh, we're we're different people. We in the last election, we voted for two different people. <gasps> How could you possibly hang out with someone who voted for someone else besides the person that you were hoping would be president? And so, yeah, we both voted for different people. Um, we have different uh, political leanings. We, we have different religious beliefs or non-beliefs, depending on, on the individual. But we have similar values. So we take different paths to get to the same value. And I think it's important. And, and respect, as Ryan said, r- respect is the best method of, of persuasion. It doesn't mean you have to try to persuade them to have the same beliefs as you. You want to get to the same destination, meaning having similar values. Now, if you don't have the same values, then you want to question uh, that relationship overall because there's going to be a lot of tension. But I think it's okay to have radically different beliefs, different interests. I mean, you were out snowboarding yesterday, Ryan, that is an extreme interest of yours, and I am extremely terrified of snowboarding. And so it's not an interest of mine whatsoever. It's not that I haven't tried it. It's just that I'm not willing to continue to try it as I hurt myself every time that I do it. I'm looking over a podcast, Sean, and he has a doll of you, and he's sticking needles right in the back. I support you. (laughs) (laughs) Let's move on, Ryan. Explains all that back pain. All right, um, who do we got next? Mike Brewer. This is this the, Mike, the Brewer. Mike Brewer? This is the Mike Brewer. All right, so Mike Brewer, uh, God, I. so when I first started working at uh, the telecommunications company that um, I was working for before The Minimalists, Mike Brewer was, I think, the first employee I actually met. And, like, he's just, he's just one of the, like, just the funniest guy, most genuine guy. Like, he's, he's an awesome dude. All right, um, enough, enough hat tips to Mike Brewer. His question is this. <laughs> How to handle the times when the work that goes into preparing to achieve your goal seems like it needs to be minimized? This is a really good question, actually. Yeah, yeah. So, so let's talk about that. Um, my, my short answer is discover what's essential to reach your objective, eliminate 
the rest. Yeah, because sometimes, man, like we do have a goal. And, you know, Josh and I talk a lot about no goals, but certainly sometimes having, you know, one goal is important. Paying uh-huh. off debt or or maybe... Especially when you're in a hole. You're in some sort of crater yeah. you want to get out of it. Yeah, goals maybe, can be helpful. Yeah, maybe you, want to, maybe you want to write a book or something. But sometimes that goal, we get bogged down in the weeds with uh, things that are superfluous. So that's what, that's why I think I don't know why I said this is a really good question. Actually, Mike always asks good questions, um, but but no, this is why I say it's a good question. Is because yes, I think sometimes when we are working towards a goal, uh, we get caught in the weeds. So uh, my answer is this: unorganized or unclear goals lead to discontent. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And so we often have a bunch of goals. We don't know why we have the goal. So if you're asking yourself, if you do have a goal, maybe ask yourself why you have it. That's going to give you the purpose that you need to understand to take action and ultimately uh, get to where you want to go. Because a goal without any sort of plan is is just a stressor in our lives. And I try to cut uh, as many goals as possible. I try to live without goals. And we've written a lot about that. We'll put a link to an essay I wrote called 100 Days with No Goals and uh, all of the the lessons that I learned from, from that experiment. This last question is from Sergio. How can I reconcile with my family when they have pernicious values such as limitless interest in money, objects, and fake protocols? So, of course, my, my favorite line from our book, Everything That Remains, is this, and I think it's the, the appropriate final answer here. You can't change the people around you, but you can change the people around you. I love that, man. I love like when you've said that in front of a crowd and maybe they haven't heard it before, but like, especially on that tour in 2014, like just watching like the heads, like, like really, really stiff at first. And then like they get the little tilt and then you see it in their eyes. They're like, oh, and the yeah. smiles start to, yes. to, to be uncovered throughout the audience and different people get it at different times. Yeah. And so, yeah, you can't change the people around you, but you can change the people around you. Here's what I'd say. It's important to love, support and respect family. It's even more important to never act against your values or beliefs. Yeah, I, I think I think that's important. And it doesn't mean you can't change your beliefs over time. Your values tend to not change as much, but your beliefs can change. Your path to toward your values can change. But uh, you don't want to you don't want to be an inauthentic version of yourself just to appease someone else. And I yeah, I think that's that's an important lesson, Ryan. Okay, it's time for our added value portion of the show. This is where we each recommend something that has added value to our lives recently. Ryan, I will let you go first because I have a laundry list of things I want to talk about with you. Okay, I just want to recommend one thing, which there's a piece of me that really feels guilty recommending this because it's such an expensive item. So um, It's a Fabergé egg. It's a Fabergé egg, but it's the most beautiful Fabergé egg you can find at theminimalist.com slash Fabergé eggs. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, all right, all right. Um, <laughs> uh, no, we're not selling Fabergé eggs. That was a joke. Um, I purchased a – it was over $200 pair of ski goggles. Uh-huh. And I'm used to – the ones I had before were about 50 bucks. Uh-huh. And all I'll say is that in the – at Snowball, which is the uh, hill that I went to yesterday, uh-huh. and it's the closest one to Missoula. It's like a half hour away from Missoula. It's it's there's a lot of wooded areas. Um, it gets really foggy up there. Uh, regardless, it makes it really really hard. Like if you have a really crappy pair of goggles, you can't see bumps. You can't and you'll catch an edge a lot easier. So forth and so on. 
I, I splurged on this uh, pair of goggles. It's Zeal uh, Transition Goggles is, is, what they're, is what they're called. Uh, so Zeal's the brand, and then um, it's their line of uh, transition lenses, lenses that they have. Why are they so great? It is a freaking game changer. Like, <laughs> well, I, I, I was just using them yesterday, and I just can't even tell you, like, how much it helps you – helps me <laughs> not eat it so much. Mm-hmm. Um, cause when you're going fast down the hill, like you've got to be able to see a foot in front of you. And I was always intimidated before because like this, the, and it, if they're not transition goggles, like if the sun hits them, like they don't, you know, like transition glasses are typically like if the sun hits them, they start to darken. And sure. it's just the way that they have basically created like two different fields of view. And, um, it just helps with, with when you're barreling down a hill and you've got to be able to, you got to constantly be able to see three foot in front of you. Mm-hmm. Um, it makes you more confident. And yes, I was catching a lot less edges. I, I was missing um, or avoiding a lot more, uh, you know, obstacles, rocks or like little trees sticking out of the ground or whatever. I mean, it's just, it, 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 it's a total game changer. So um, for anyone out there who doesn't snowboard, this is not a very good recommendation. Don't go get a pair of goggles. Oh, I just ordered mine on Amazon. <laughs> you should give them away to someone who, uh, who who likes to ski or snowboard. This is, Ryan is just trying to get a pair of goggles for me this whole time. That's right. That's right. No, so yeah, I'm just going to recommend those. I mean, they are unbelievably, um, unbelievably, uh, uh, ex- not unbelievably expensive. They're over 200 bucks. But it's something that if you're s- snowboarding or skiing, you know, 20, 25 times a year, like it's definitely worth the investment. So on Christmas Day, Ryan, I was watching a documentary called uh, Zero Days. Are you familiar with this? No. Sam Harris recommended it. And it, like make a note of this it's right about now. the Stuxnet virus. And it was so good. And I don't remember what platform I saw it on. One of them out there. So you can just Google Zero Days or Sean will put a link to their website in, in the show notes, Zero Days is a terrifying documentary um, that really makes you think about becoming a prepper. And so shortly after... Uh, you built uh, a bomb shelter, didn't you? <laughs> you built a bomb shelter over the weekend. I did, out of cardboard boxes, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah it, it, it keeps me safe from fireworks. Uh, anyway, um, no, I, I, watching that and understanding the implications of of computer viruses and how they can actually cause harm in the physical world now. They've sort of broken this barrier to where you can do some physical damage with with computer viruses, and I couldn't possibly do it justice. It's so well made, though. I mean, it's a just a great, great documentary. Um, and so j- afterward, Bex and I were like, what are we going to do if the electrical grid goes down? Should we have, like, uh, food in the basement? Should we be... And I so I quickly went to... Jim Baker's YouTube videos, and he's just to show her, here's the road you're going down if you start asking about prepping. And and so, I don't know if you know Jim Baker. He's like this yes. weird uh, pastor who, who who sells buckets of Bibles for the Armageddon and, and sells um, buck, food buckets, like 20 years. And he has like, you can build your whole living room out of these food buckets. It's so absurd. And so that's the contrast side. Like, hey, here's the one path. If you want to become a prepper, uh, uh, then, then this, is, this is one route you can go. 
Uh, so it's like a couch packed with like canned goods. And, and so I, I well, it, it's it, it is that it's it's, it's quite literally that. Wow. Uh, it, it, you can make your you, you get a piece of plywood, put it over fifteen buckets, and call it your 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 living room table. Oh Twenty two gallon buckets of rice and queso sauce and. Uh, it, it was, it's so absurd anyway. Um, so, but I will change my stance a little bit. And the reason I want to bring this up is I'll change my stance a little bit on, on prepping. And I think it's, it's okay to have a, a certain amount. So we talk all the time, get rid of your just in case items. Like, but there will be times that uh, ha- having <gasps> just for win items. You're right. This uh, is genius, <laughs> especially in Montana. Like, yeah. And, and so we can talk afterward in terms of like, planning together but there like i do want to have a, a week worth of water uh if all of our water and power and cell phone signal goes out um we're, we're going to be in a weird place and, and and so i think i think it's important to have your basics covered uh at least for me especially being in a place where you don't you're not gonna have a whole lot of access to stuff especially in the winter um and, and so so having some some basics covered just for when now where is my line going to be? I don't know, but it's going to be way before Jim Baker. And, yeah. and I'm not going to have buckets of food in, in my basement. Uh, but I, I will have some water and some absolute necessities mm. that I need just for when. And it's not just for when the apocalypse comes. I don't believe in that, okay? Right. But I do believe that, you know, the, that America has like five or six power grids across the country. And if it goes out and we're out of power for a week or two— then you know we we're gonna want to have a a plan. It's you remember when that happened in Ohio? Absolutely, that, that bad thunderstorm. I mean, we had retail stores that didn't have power for a week. Yeah, absolutely. And so so that will happen at some point. Uh, the question is, what am I preparing for? And I think that this is what what Bex and I we got into the conversation for. When you see these these crazy preppers, uh, who you, you, they have these shows, they have these basements, they have these shelters and bunkers or whatever, they don't usually talk about what they're actually preparing for. Mm. And for me, my question is, how do I prepare for a one-week power outage? Mm. Because that is inevitable. And so I can have preparation for it just for when. If it goes beyond that, am I preparing uh, beyond that? No. I can't have a possibly have a contingency plan for everything, and, and so I'm not going to try. But there will be a point when our power does go out, and if I can have a week's worth of water and 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 maybe a few other things that I need that are going to fit into a very small box, mm-hmm. then then I, I I'm okay with doing that, but I'm not comfortable with with the the hoarding. Doom, the, no, with yeah. The, yeah, with the doomsday prepper scenario. But I also want to want to be really clear about this. If if in this preparation that ever feels to me like, uh, you know what, this is excessive, then I'm always going to be willing to let it go and always reevaluate. That, that step. I'm not going to buy, you know, a week's worth of water and then just hold on to it in perpetuity. The question is, is this still relevant? Do I still need this? And so zero days at least had me thinking about um, th- there are going to be some scenarios that, that we're going to be dealing with in the future. And how do we prepare for those? What exactly are we preparing for? And these are, these are questions we, we should ask. Uh, a couple other things. I almost don't want to watch this, this movie now because <laughs> I like, I, I, well, you know what? We we had the the podcast recently about getting outside of our bubble. Uh-huh. Uh huh. So maybe this will like get me outside of the bubble and start to see a little bit more of the hoarders. Uh, the the, or not the hoarders, but the but the preppers side of things. And there man. are no preppers in this. It, it it just it's enough terrifying information to to say I should prepare for a legitimate power outage, basically. Wow. And 
and I don't believe that that means I need to be a prepper or a hoarder. And I don't, I don't need to plan for every possible thing that can happen. But let me, let, let me determine what is most probable. And, and when I say most probable, like most probable within the next year. Mm. And then constantly reevaluate that. Yeah. And, and be able to fulfill that for less than you know, 20, 30 bucks. Then I, I feel good about doing that. Yeah, man, that's, that's not terrible. The reason why I got excited earlier about, like, man, this is awesome for Montana. Well, for two reasons. Like, A, people always ask us like you know when uh or what just in case items do you have like you gotta have like some just in case items right and and uh you know it's maybe not just in case maybe it is just for when but the reason why i I got excited is because a like now i'm gonna have an answer for them Uh like here i don't have any of these just in case items but talking about this made me think like i don't have a a blanket in my in the back of my car Uh i don't have like water i don't have a flashlight like i don't have those things that would be so important uh, to sustain life mm-hmm. if my you know car was stuck in a ditch somewhere um, you know in three foot of snow and I didn't have any cell phone service. Right. So yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I, I think I think that's certainly appropriate. And yeah, it might be a just for when um, scenario, but yeah, I don't know. It kind of borders the just in case, just for when. Well, I mean, but for me, the reason it doesn't it doesn't bleed over into just in case is because I'm I'm still willing to assess it and and say. Um, in case of what? Well, mm. if it's always just perpetual, just in case, then I need to let it go. But if it's, I know. So, so for example, when I almost died getting the Christmas tree earlier this year, for those of you who didn't hear, go back and listen to our holidays episode. Uh, I should have had a set of tire chains with me because being in Montana in the winter, you know, you are going to need chains. Those are just for when I need them. Now, do I need them every day? Do you no. need them every winter even? No, not necessarily, no. Right. But you are going to use them. And you and I have used chains at least two or three times oh, at this yeah. point. And I could have certainly used them. Well, if I got a pair from someone uh, when we were stuck there, and, and that helped out immensely. And so that is a just for when item. And, and so I do want to delineate between the two. If I know I'm going to use them, then I'm I'm going to reevaluate that. And so I'm going to have a handful of, of just-for-win items that may not fall within the 90-90 rule. Uh, have I used this in the last 90 days? Am I going to use this in the next 90? But those ones that are just-for-win, that I'm labeling just-for-win, I'm going to scrutinize the hell out of those things mm. because I don't want to give myself permission to hold on to something just in case. The, uh, the next thing that I want to recommend, Ryan, I don't know if you saw this on our Instagram, so occasionally we do the hashtag, the minimalist city finds, and there, I was standing out in front of this store in Los Angeles in the, the Silver Lake neighborhood, and I saw this like little marquee sandwich board sign, and it, on the sign, all it said was, nothing for sale. I love that. And I'm like, what is this? This is my kind of retail store, nothing for sale. And so Bex was like, hey, can we go in here? And we, we walked in, and it is a place called Joy Mode. And I think they are just – so, so I, I took a picture of it, put it up on our Instagram, at The Minimalist. But uh, the owner of, of the, the place uh, reached out to me and said, hey, is there – this seems like it's right up your alley. I noticed you posted this picture. Anyway, um, a- after I, I, I went in there and figured out what they're about, they're about renting experiences. Oh, so wow. they literally have nothing for sale. It's a subscription-based service. And we're, this is not an advertisement. I'm not promoting them. And I haven't used it yet because I don't live in Los Angeles. And, but if I did, it was this great, especially for someone like you who has tons of friends over all the time. You can set your 
backyard up as like a movie theater oh wow which is huge in la being able to do something and so that you can rent all the equipment they drop it off to you and unload it and they pick it all up when you're all done with the experience wow um they have giant games that like uh, what's that that uh, is it connect four you, you, yes they have a giant version like that where the, <laughs> the little the little um discs are the size of your head checkers yeah the little checkers are the size of your head and so they rent out these experiences and they have all of these maxims uh, along their walls there about like um own less live more and, wow. and it's really about having access so we always talk about the access economy and shifting from an econ- economy of ownership to access i think joy mode is, is a great way to, to do that, or at least this model that they've come up with is a great way to do it. And so uh, I think it's joymode.com, and they're just in beta right now. So the guy sent me a code. I don't know if it works or not. It's minimalists mode. If you want to take a look at their service, and I, I, again, I'm not getting anything for telling you all about it. I just thought it was really cool. And if I lived in Los Angeles, then I know I would find a ton of value being able to, to lease an experience as opposed to acquiring the new thing. Uh, last thing, Ryan, that I want to recommend during the added value segment. I've been getting a lot of value out of a lot of different experiences lately. There's a book that I'm reading right now called I Hate the Internet. We'll put a link to that one in, in the show notes as well. It's not the most well-written book in the world, but it has struck a chord with people mm. for sure. And so I'm, I'm reading it right here on my e-reader. And I've got an excerpt that really resonated that I think will resonate with a lot of people. And, and so it, we all have this weird relationship right now, Ryan, with, with with the internet. Like it's a love-hate relationship. Like I love the ability to be able to, to make this podcast, record it, and get it out to people with no middleman whatsoever. And we don't do any advertisements. And so the, it's a way for us to just put this out in the world, hope people get value from it. If not, they can move on. If so, great, they can share it with their friends and family. But also the internet is this endless sea of, of corporations trying to monetize their uh, algorithms and mm. and all these other things and so this this book is it's it's been enthralling and I've been just diving through it uh, r- relatively quickly but this uh, uh, this one passage here really resonated with me and I think you'll you'll find some amusement in this Ryan mostly Instagram's users uploaded photographs of things on which they'd either spent money or wished to spend money. It was an infinite sexless orgy of cars, guns, food, clothes, dogs, cats, yoga, bikinis, money clips, works of art, breast implants, buttocks implants, dream vacations, tattoos, vinyl records, cell phones, footwear, laptop computers, country estates in England, airplanes, piercings, exotic pets, mid-century modern homes, bongs, bathroom mirrors, cameras, mojitos, and other delicious alcoholic beverages, lip augmentation, handbags, watches, spiral staircases, suicidal ideation, caffeinated drinks, purchased at Starbucks, motorcycles, protein supplements, suntan lotion, fake mustaches, novelty mugs, children's toys, sunglasses, guitars, snow cone machines, vape pens, scooters, crystal pendants, and important Japanese junk food. Uncoincidentally, Instagram was also the first social media platform to which the only sane reaction was hate. And uh, the wow. the book the book takes a weird sort of 
snarky approach toward internet culture. Not a snarky approach that I, I take, but I do see twinges of that from time to time. If I catch myself, so I've been doing uh, from from Thanksgiving to Christmas, did this um, I, internet, not fast, but I just removed the apps from from my phone and found a way to to use those things when I brought them back on more deliberately, whether it was Twitter or Instagram. But but I will tell you that I get caught up in that. The, the founder of Instagram called it visual crack for a reason. And so I think we need to be careful about our consumption habits because if we're constantly consuming, even if it's consuming supposed content, we're not necessarily creating. And so I want to be responsible with my consumption and consuming the best things that give me the fuel I need to create as opposed to passively you know, flipping through my, my glowing screen. And th this book yeah. has highlighted some of my feelings about, about the internet. Man, I, I, uh, I'm so glad that I'm not hooked on the the likes and the subscribers and because I, I mean you know I, I would love to talk about how I've gotten over that urge to like constantly check maybe that's just a definition of like or, or a defining moment of like me getting old I don't know <laughs> these kids and their computers I like it and I like Instagram's probably my favorite platform because it's so visual visual and uh you know I don't have to um I don't have to post like anything like this you know, crazy maxim of, 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 uh, oh, I, I don't know, man. It's just, it's just really simple. I can get on there and, and post a picture mm -hmm. and be like, Hey, this is me in Florida, period. Right. Like right. I don't have to give this crazy maximum of advice and, and write, you know, um, have to like sound really, you know, smarter, intelligent on there. Like it's, it's very simple to use. You're trying to add value. You're not trying to aggregate eyeballs. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And it, so, so, uh, Rebecca, she, my partner, she, she just finished his book. One of my favorite books It's called freedom by, by Jonathan friends. And, and I was talking to her about which characters, like who, who do you use? Cause there's four main characters who have different chapters, different sections of the book. And who do you identify with? And I, I was talking to her about who I identify with. And the character that I find most compelling is a character named Richard Katz. And although I don't identify with him at all, but he reminds me a lot of you, uh, at least his positive sides do. He's kind of self-loathing, self and I, I don't see that in, in you. But um, he, he, he has found a sort of detente with with this level he's a famous musician in the book and he found this detente with with uh, yes there's there's going to be likes and we all want to be liked sure uh, emotionally but that has that has trans transitioned into this uh, inter this internal feeling is transitioned into the physical act of pressing a button to show someone that you quote like them and uh, no, I really admire the fact that you that you don't get uh, as caught up in that. For me, I have to fast from it because otherwise, I will get caught up in it. Well, I stopped scrolling on Facebook months ago. I mean, the, you know, when I started scrolling again was during the election. It was the worst thing I could have done because, mm. like, I wanted to see just people's reactions and like because I was just so blown away by the fear in America right now. Yeah. And um, I just wanted to kind of gauge people's reactions. And it's, it's fear and hate is like what I ran into. And I'm like, why do I look at this stuff? The other day, I'm at, I'm at a um, dinner with a friend. And she's like, hey, I want you to read this article. Um, it's really, really crazy uh, what they're doing to this family in Whitefish, Montana. Um, there's this guy named Richard Spencer. He's like a crazy, uh, you know, KKK guy, like white supremacist guy. And he has this blog. And he wrote this whole article on how, well, I'm not going to like repeat anything of it. 
um, because I just don't want to really get into it. But a long story short, he was calling out people in the community, and he had pictures of them, their children, and their addresses in this thing. Wow. And it was unbelievable, man. And um, Rebecca showed, showed me this article, and I literally read the first two lines. I'm like, why do you read stuff like this? Like, I'm not, uh, not going to read this. That is, man, that's a great question to ask ourselves. Like, yeah. if I were to, fl- I'm going to write that down. That question, why, as I'm like reading something or scrolling through something, why do I read stuff like this? Well, because it, it reminded me of the, the post-election stuff where I wanted to just like reach through the computer or like, you know, reach through the phone and be like, are you really that bigoted? Like, is it really that, is it really that crazy? And like, as soon as I started to get that feeling, I'm like, I don't like this feeling. Uh-huh. This feeling just, it fuels this fire that I don't want to burn. Right. And um, I like just handed her phone back and she was like, well, just scroll down and like, l- at least look at the, the people that they're calling out. So I did I, like scroll down and like just saw the pictures and which still like didn't feel it as bad. But like, but yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, like that's why I don't get attached to it because for as much joy as it brings me, it probably brings me more, um, oh, more contention or, or it makes me want to argue with people more than it makes me want to. Um, or, or more than it brings me happiness. In fact, I saw this article in, I believe it was BBC, but they were talking about how scrolling in Facebook and, and using social media to, uh, you know, a lot, uh, act, you, feel like you're, you feel like you're getting ephemeral happiness. Uh, it's actually doing the opposite, though. It, right. gi- it may give you ephemeral happiness, but it gives you longer-lasting discontent. Yes. It's, yeah. yeah, it's really interesting. But, uh, but yeah, I, I, I use Facebook for minimalist.org, Every once in a blue moon, I'll post an article that's like really, really, uh, I, I think is really, really important. Um, but it's far and few between. Same thing on Instagram. Even though Instagram is my favorite platform, um, and to, to the excerpt you were just reading, I don't see that in Facebook or in Instagram because I don't follow those people. Right. Like, I mean, the stuff I have in Instagram is friends, it's family. Like, I actually want to see what they're doing in their lives, and they don't just post vapid stuff like that. So I, I you know, I think it could be uh, one or the other. But, but yeah, I guess you know, all I'm getting at is, is like, yes, I do get some enjoyment out of Instagram. I certainly use Facebook to connect with people. That's like, the, you know, one of the easiest ways to find someone and uh, you know, connect with them. Um, or actually, Twitter might even be easier. But I, yeah, I think way more think people so. are on Facebook than Twitter. But yeah, it's it's a t- it's a tool. It's a function. It's something that adds value to my life in certain ways. And when it stops adding value, um, I, I don't use it. But if we don't use it deliberately, that's the path we fall down. Absolutely. The excerpt I was just reading yeah. is you know, the bikinis and the lip augmentation and, and all of these things where we're, we're constantly searching, like you said, for those ephemeral pleasures. Okay, so yeah, those, those are my, my three um, observations of, of um, added value in the last week or so. Uh, Zero Day is the documentary. Joy Mode, if you want to rent some experiences, buy experiences, own experiences. That, that was their tagline, own your experience. Nice. Like, that was great. So yeah, if you want to own some experiences as opposed to owning the stuff. And then I Hate the Internet is an interesting novel that you may want to check out. Although don't, don't let it, the, the snarkiness um, make you snarky as well. Don't let it turn you, don't let the critics turn you into a critic. But it's, it's at least a fun little approach if you want to read some, some fiction. That's what I got right now. Okay, well, uh, let's move on, Ryan. Let's move on to right here, right now. This is where we get to stop talking about us and start talking about us. Uh, we talk about what's going on in the lives of the minimalists. So a few things are going on right now. Many of you uh, commented because we, we sent out a, a link to the free book, uh, Everything That Remains, on Christmas Day. Ryan, we've had, I think, over 10,000 people who have 
had the book and we've got all kinds of great responses. So it's, uh, it's been really great. It's People great, are, are reading everything that remains. Many of you said though, I didn't get the email on my inbox. What happened? Two things, check your spam folder, or if you're on Gmail, check your promotions folder because Gmail likes to filter out our messages. So if you're subscribed to our newsletter, first off, if you're not, you can go to the minimalists.com, enter your email address at the top, but only if you think you'll find value in it, you can unsubscribe at any time. And of course, we'll never ever send you spam or advertisements because those things pretty much suck. And at the same time though, make sure that we're in your address book. Otherwise you may not get the emails. They may show up in your spam folder. They might show up in the promotions tab. You're going to want to move us from your promotions tab to your main inbox because this is not a promotion. We're not promoting any products or services. What we're trying to do is spread our message to as many people as possible. So if you want to subscribe to our emails, you do that at theminimalists.com. A few things here. Um, I am doing a a bit of an experiment next year, Ryan. You know, I'm not one for New Year's resolutions. I think they're a bit hokey. I think, you know, the change can happen at any time. And and so for me, there isn't a New Year's resolution necessarily, but there is a a new habit that I would like to develop in the new year. And, And that habit is when I enjoy a book or a podcast or a film or a restaurant then I am going to do a better job reviewing that creation. Mm. On that's a good resolution, man. Yeah, it's, especially it's when my you have non-resolution. A, well, <laughs> it's a great non-resolution. Thank you, thank you. No, you know, because like every time, the only time I, I feel driven to write a review is when I have a really bad experience. Yes, which is not the right approach. Well, maybe it is if it's really bad. If someone's done some, they've spat in your food, and you want to share. It. I guess what, the way I look at it, so so. If it's Amazon or iTunes or if it's a movie, it's on IMDb or if it's a restaurant, reviewing them on Yelp, I basically see that my reviews add value in, in two ways. So if I, if I had a great experience, uh, five-star experience, right? Because if I have a three-star experience, I'm probably not going to rate it. I'm not going to go out of my way to rate the three-star thing. But if I have an outstanding experience, then, then it will inform the, the potential customers of my positive experience. So you and I, when we're on the road and we look up Google or Yelp uh, for a, a recommendation, a sometimes. Man, it really, really helps us. And, and we benefit from other people's, other customers' uh, positive reviews, but also from their negative reviews, right? If they leave a negative review, I'll know, okay, maybe I want to stay away from this place after I read their, their well-thought-out review. So it's not just the five-star rating that does help, but I want to go in and write you know, one, two, three sentences really quick, spend 60 seconds mm. if I got value from this place, or if it was a really horrible experience. Someone spat in my food and, and called me every name in the book. Of course, they're going to get a one-star rating because I don't want other people to have to. I want, I, I want other people to be, able, to be able to avoid that as well. And so I'm going to do a better job on Amazon, on iTunes, on IMDb, on Yelp of, of rating the things that I find the most value in. But also, I realize that it also helps the the person who created the thing, right? The, the author of the book or, or the guy who owns the restaurant, it helps bring them new people as well. So if I got value from it, let me sort of pay it forward in a way. And so on a similar note, if you want to rate our stuff, you can do that as well. You, you can rate this podcast. Um, if, you, if we spat in your face and you want to give us one star, I totally understand. But otherwise, if you find a lot of value from it, if you made it this far into this episode, hopefully you'll consider giving us a five-star review. Same with our documentary if you want to do that on Netflix or, or IMDb or any of our books. And uh, also our coffee house down in, in St. Pete. 
uh, Florida, if you want to to review that on Yelp or or on Google or wherever you review things, then uh, then hopefully you can help spread the message in, in some way. And so that's uh, that's what's going on right here at, at uh, my New Year's resolution, at least. Uh, one other thing. New Year's unresolution. Yeah, my New Year's not, yeah, unresolution. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> uh, I, I'm calling it resolving to review. So I guess uh, it is a, a, a resolution. resolution. Yeah. Damn. Swords. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hypocrite. <laughs> so... Um, <laughs> Uh, Ryan and I, a few years ago, we participated in something called a, a Simple Year. It is a 12 months of guided simplicity program, and we are once again in 2017 doing that all over again. And we had a lot of fun from it, uh, with it last time. We, we teach one of the months, and there are 11 other simple living uh, activists and bloggers, people on- online who are simple living experts who who are going to talk and teach about decluttering and travel and food and money and relationships and work and sort of everything in between. So it's an online course, a monthly thing. If you're interested in something like that, you can find all the details over at theminimalists.com slash 12, the, the number 12. Uh, I'm sorry, the, the, number, the word 12 all spelled out, <laughs> T-W-E-L-V-E, which is 12 months of guided simplicity, right? It's called a simple year. You can find the details to, in the course overview uh, to to that course over at our website. Of course, uh, I want to be clear. The minimalist, you know, that that we will be the first to tell you that uh, you don't need a special course or a book or a blog to simplify your life, right? So let's get that out there at first. But if you do feel like you could use a little or a lot of help clearing the excess from your life, then we hope you find value in uh, a simple year. It's twelve months of of guided simplicity. So you can find that at theminimalists.com slash the word 12, all spelled out. Uh, let's see here. What else, Ryan? Oh, we, we, were, we wanted to talk about this. We wanted to talk about the best albums of 2016 because I'm being really long-winded today. Uh, I Every year, I, I write my top 10, top 15, top 12 list, whatever it may be, of favorite albums from the year. And so of 2016... I think I had 15 and then a bunch of honorable mentions as well. You can find all of those at theminimalists.com slash sound. There's an essay there called The Sound of Life, and it just talks about you know, building a, a soundtrack to your life. Uh, some of my favorite albums from, from last year, I'll just go is through. Is this in order, by the way, the list that you have? Yeah, it is. It is. So, so my favorite album of the year was The Lumineers. Dude, I, it's, it's funny. When that album first came out, uh-huh. I did not like it. Did it grow on you, or you haven't given another try? No, it totally grew on me. Okay. Like, I have that list as one of my favorite albums, too, now. So, Cleopatra was definitely uh, one of of my favorite albums. Uh, Drake's album, Views, was was phenomenal. Drizzy. Uh, (laughs) There's a guy named uh, Troy uh, Savan, or Savan, I don't even know how to pronounce his his last name. Uh, He had an album called Blue Neighborhood. I think it technically came out in December of 2015. Otherwise, I think it would have been my favorite album on this list. I just felt like I was cheating. It's definitely Ella's favorite album of the year. Quite often, <laughs> I will wake her up with uh, the first song from the album. She loves dancing to it. Uh, Radiohead's new album. That was a great one. I man. loved, man. It was like the, a really stripped-down, minimalistic version of Radiohead. Love that album. Yeah. It's, uh, you know what's funny is people hated on uh, Drake Views, and they hated on the radio head album, A Moon-Shaped Pool. Mm-hmm. And then like now everyone loves it. It's one of those things where... Like me with the Lumineers, it's like at first you're like, "What is this?" You're like, "Is there too much hype around it?" Like, right. It, and then it, you listen to it a couple of times, you're like, "Oh, this is actually really well thought out." It, totally, yeah. It, it's it's 
all the albums I've mentioned have been great for me. Uh, Lapslay, she, she, I don't even know if I pronounced that correctly. Either. She, I believe she's Norwegian. I don't know where she's from. She made this great album. It's called Long Way Home. It is amazing. Like, every song on it is good. And, and Bex and I will drive around Montana sometimes and just listen to that album. It is, it's a perfect album for a drive. Uh, the Weeknd's new album was, was pretty stellar, I, I, it's, and it's growing on me even more. Laura Gibson uh, has an album, she's from Oregon, and had a really great sort of singer-songwriter album called Empire Builder. And then my number eight on my list, it's the last one I'll read off, uh, but I'll talk about, is Post Malone's new album. I think it came out like a week or two ago, Ryan. I don't know if you even know who Post I've, Malone is. I haven't heard of him. He is kind of like a, I don't, a new age rapper, but but not really. He it's it's very melodic and very well produced. Mm. And I'm looking at Sean right now. I bet his teenage daughters are listening to it. Uh, he's maybe 20, 21 years old. And I'm telling you, if it would have come out two months earlier, it might be my number one album. I've been playing it out like Bex yesterday. I was just like, all right, you're playing this album out. Uh, you got to stop. Uh, and then I, I'll just go through a couple others real quick. Chance the Rapper had a great new album. Yeah. Slow Runner, one of my favorite bands, put out an album called New Monsters. It's phenomenal. Tribe Called Quest, final album. First album in, I think, 18 years, Ryan. Tribe Called Quest. Oh, wow. Uh, Fife died earlier uh, this year. And, and so this is their final album. And we listened to it most of Christmas Day. It was our Christmas music. was the new Tribe Called Quest album. It was great. Uh, J. Cole's new album is phenomenal. It's called For yeah, Your good. Eyes Only. Uh, Daughter had a new album come out, and uh, her voice is just unbelievable to me, and her ability to write really somber songs. Uh, Mac Miller, and then I'll round it out with Jay Nash, our friend over in Vermont, uh, came out with the Vermont Sessions. It's acoustic yep. album. It would have been much higher on my list, actually, but they're, they're all songs that have been out there before. He just did acoustic covers of his own songs, and it was really well done. And then I have a bunch of honorable mentions Yeah, I on see Macklemore in there. You know, I didn't... I heard this one song that got popular on the radio. Uh, on my honorable mentions, yeah. So the Macklemore. Which song yeah, was it? He it like, was... Um, whatever it was, it was like very similar to the Thrift Shop song. Like he tried to... It was like the same. It's called Downtown. Beat. Yes. Yeah. And after hearing that song, I'm like, I'm not even going to listen to this album. Uh, but it's, it's really good. But you know what? I said the same thing, and I don't know why I didn't connect these dots and give it a chance. But now I need to go listen to it. But uh, when I heard Thrift Shop, uh-huh. I'm like, I'm never going to listen to this album. Uh huh. But when you know when you first came out with that popular one, but then like, yeah, you're the one again. You're like, you started playing it. I'm like, who is this? You're like, this is Macklemore. Right. I'm like, wow, this is really good. Except for you know this one's although even. Hearing that whole album, Thrift Shop, all of a sudden, I was like, oh. There's a message behind it. Yeah, exactly. He's very, I mean, the thing I like about Macklemore is he has a very just conscious message. And it's, so I talked about Post Malone being one of my favorite albums of the year, just because melodically it sounds great. But it's, it's total juvenilia. Like, it's not, it's not this, this profound, uh, experiment it's, of of lyricism. It's like it's baloney, but it's really good baloney, <laughs> artisanal baloney, and it, <laughs> it is you know it's it's really well done, and the music itself is beautiful. He has Justin Bieber on a song that is like truly amazing. I mean, Josh, he, don't tell anyone, but I kind of like the beat. Oh, his last album was was really good, man. Um, Thank God, only ten people are listening to this. <laughs> yeah, at this point, we've whittled a million down to like I don't know <laughs> seven people. <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, anyway, uh, Macklemore is the opposite of Post Malone. Like, it's very uh, conscious and cognizant of what it is. He has a song called "White Privilege Part Two mm. that is, an, uh, I mean, it's an unbelievable song. And so, because he's struggling with that sort of side of things of, of being white, but also in a predominantly uh, black 
music and, and trying to deal with, with, with that, but also realizing a place of privilege. And uh, he does some stuff with, with lyrics that are amazing. So, yeah, he was in my honorable mentions. Um, there are some other people in the honorable mentions that I really love. Did, did you have any, any – any, uh, people can find that all at, at theminimalists.com slash sound. Ryan, did you have any – Albums that really stood out to you, man. This year. Um, I really liked Griffin House's new album, man. So on and so forth. I went, I went and saw him in when I was in Tampa, when uh-huh. I was in Florida last week. I went and saw his concert, and you, so you know how I always say so on and so forth mm-hmm. when the the uh, saying is so forth and so on. Uh-huh. Um, when he introduced himself, he was like, you know, I'm I'm here promoting my new album, uh, so on and so forth, and he's like, I intentionally made it that way, just so you know, because uh-huh. uh, his grandpa. Would like you know always go on and on and tell about stories, and then he'd always say so on and so forth. Are you telling me your Griffin House is a grandpa? Yes, exactly. <laughs> but no, so but anyway, it was uh, they're kind of like deep cuts, I think. You know, like like they're it's not like the typical like happy jovial Griffin House. Griffin House. It's more like more more emotion in them, I guess. I mean, there's emotion emotion in all of his songs. I think for people who don't know who he is, he he's it's not a band. Griffin House. It sounds oh, right. like a band. It's, it's, it's his it's name. A, yeah, it's a guy named Griffin House. He's from uh, the Dayton, Ohio area, Springfield, Ohio. Yeah. <clears throat> um, I liked Brad Denon's album, man. Uh, Por favor. Oh, why did I forget that? I like that. It's not even on my honorable mentions. I totally missed putting that on my list. That's a good that one. Was great, man. I dug it. I know you don't like him, but I dug it, dude. Uh, Twenty-one a million. I, I don't know if it's. If it's Bon Iver or Bon Iver. Yeah, he's on my list, I think. Oh, is he on honorable yeah, he's mentions? He's on my honorable mentions, Oh, yeah. okay, okay. I didn't see him down there. Sean Mahalik, our other Sean. So we have podcast Sean and other Sean. Sean Mahalik uh, helps me out with my How to Write Better uh, writing class. And he said this is the most beautiful album he's ever heard. I, I didn't find that, but I did enjoy listening to it. I think it's a good driving music, too. Yeah, it's good. Well, I mean, he's got that... Why with Nailed some soft it. music in the background. Sean, you're gonna have to turn this down because I don't want to get sued for copyright infringement. <laughs> but like, and you know what? Some people dig that type of music, and some people don't. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's it, it is what it is. Um, I I really really enjoy it. Uh, Kendrick Lamar, man, the Untitled Unmastered. Did you did you listen to that at all? No, I didn't listen to it. Man. That's really good, it, actually. I mean, I don't know if it was like. Yeah, I, I don't know what, what kind of message he was trying to put in there, but literally, it's called "Untitled Unmastered," and then like every single song is untitled. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. And I, I've heard about it. I just didn't. I didn't spend any time on. it. I don't know why I didn't. I, I think uh, so. It's artisanal. Artisanal. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna get that word right eventually. It's, it's artesian. Ar- it's artisanal baloney as well. Yeah. Uh, well, I know. I mean, he's such a talented lyricist. He might be the the most talented lyricist there is. Right. He does stuff with words. That only Andre 3000 and Eminem have done in our lifetime. I feel like, yeah, um, yeah he does things with words where he manipulates uh, uh, speech patterns and and rhymes words that wouldn't ever rhyme and and does it masterfully and beautifully. So yeah, it's a great I, album. I'll, I'll, I'll check it out. Yeah. One, one of my favorite podcasts is called uh, Runaway Jukebox, and uh, they they review albums and I'm constantly disagreeing because they're a bunch of millennials who are way like at least 10 years younger than us. And I'm constantly disagreeing with their, what they find in albums, but I really love their, at least shines a new light on the music they like. And I'm able to, I'm able to better understand music I don't like. And that's, uh, that's helpful, helpful for me. And then, um, dude, I loved Childish Gambino's new album. Did you listen to it? I did listen to Awaken it. Awaken my love. Yeah, it took me a couple times. Me man, it took me a couple times to listen to it. I know, like, 
there was that, f- I don't remember the name of the first album, but because of the internet, like you thought that was all right. But, mm-hmm. but you know, the difference between you and me, I think when it comes to music is I like the, um, like the really random weirdness that Childish Gambino brings to the table. Uh-huh. Like that for me, I'm like, wow, like it's like the Beatles white album. Now I'm not comparing Childish Gambino to the Beatles. Like, don't get me wrong, but you like, you look at the white album. Can you put that in the minimal maxims. Yes. Childish Gambino is like the Beatles white album. <laughs> no, do not put that in our minimal maxims. All right. No. Um, but w- w- what I was going to say is that, so you look at the Beatles white album and there's two albums there and Sean podcast, Sean, you're the one that pointed this out to me, um, where their producer went to them and he was like, Hey man, uh, why don't you guys just like cut half of these songs out and make a really, really amazing one one record album instead of having you know two records and like adding this weird stuff in there? Yeah. But that's the Beatles, man. Right. And it's the same thing with Childish Gambino. Like he could have cut out a lot of the crazy, weird like breaks that he'll take in songs. Like there's literally like the last song on the album, it starts off like just really calm, and then it just escalates through, like, three different, um, I don't know if you call them verses or bars. I'm not, like, that experienced in music, to name it. But, like, it goes from this soft and then to, like, kind of, like, just really fast, like, really insane, noisy rap. But it's a beautiful build. Like, yeah. for me, it's a beautiful build. And he could have just kept it soft the whole time. Uh-huh. But, like, he goes out of his way to put in those, like, different just beats and different sounds, and um, I think it comes together really nicely, personally. But you know yeah, Childish Gambino, Awaken My Love, it, it was really good. I, because the internet's probably still my favorite album his, only because I can relate to that so much. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I really enjoyed his new one. Well, he put out an album, uh, they call it a mixtape now, um, called Royalty. It was right. At, it was between Camp and, and uh, Because, the, because internet? the Internet. Yeah. Man, it is so good, especially like going because you know I I like him because he does things with words that are like he loves manipulating words mm-hmm. and I just really dug that so I'll I'll try to send you a copy of that I think you'll you'll like royalty you, awesome, you, don't, man. you don't have a I don't I don't think we've ever listened to that together but yeah so so those are some albums you got any more Ryan is that no that's it man that, that, I mean I had some at? others on there but you already got them on your list okay. uh, yeah yeah well um. I think that's just about everything that's going on right here, right now. If you haven't already checked it out, our documentary, Minimalism, a documentary about the important things, is, of course, on Netflix. And if you don't have Netflix, don't worry. Or if you're in a country that doesn't, that does, the Netflix didn't pick it up in, uh, you can still find the documentary on iTunes, Google Play, Amazon, in most countries uh, for those three platforms. Also, it's on Vimeo Worldwide. And if you still watch documentaries or movies the old school way, we've got you covered, at least in North America. It's available on DVD. You can find links to all of those at minimalismfilm.com. Finally, here are some voicemail comments and tips from our listeners. My name is uh, Manny Detilas from um, Greenville, Delaware. And um, so I was calling in today. Um, I just listened to your Ask the Minimalists live episode where you mentioned your friend who is a photographer. And I love photography, and I have a recommendation for any fellow photography lovers, including the Instagram kind. So I confess I spent way too much money on DSLR cameras and lenses and equipment, over $1,000. And like many other things, it was a never-ending cycle of lust and desire and upgrading fueled by all the ads and excitement on the photography online forums and magazines. And I finally realized the problem was not the cameras, it was me. 
like you said, it isn't a pen that makes a great writer. So what helped me find peace was using film, like you mentioned, which is why I decided to call in. I actually started using a Fujifilm instant film camera. And the pivotal thing was that each film cartridge holds only 10 shots. So in addition, each shot was roughly 75 cents. So I was forced to become much more intentional with every shot. I would walk around the scene, visualize the best shot from different angles, and only then take a single photo. Also, I quickly found I ended up taking a lot more photos of people I cared about and not of random scenes or parks or sunsets. I think the process revealed my true priorities to me, which was an important surprise. And the other thing is, although each photo was another physical object I had to possess, I found I ended up feeling joy and gratitude each time I tape a new photo of my friends or family on my wall that I can see every day, or put it in my car, uh, you can put it in your wallet. Um, You can also easily give them to other people for them to appreciate too, and I found that people really like this. My name is Stephanie, I'm in Denver, Colorado. I was just calling as a um, a person who has a creative hobby that accumulates a lot of stuff. I really love to crochet, so I have lots of yarn and felt and needles and all sorts of um, all sorts of accoutrement. I think is the word you like with with that hobby. And I actually had turned it into a business on Etsy for about a year, and then I decided I um, that, that that wasn't a good choice for me. Well, now I have all of these items. I have a business size store of these items. And the way I decided to handle that was to um, liquidate my stock by creating donation items. I'm making little crochet photo props that I'm going to donate to my local hospital. And so it's it's become a project uh, for me that will both help me minimize the stock that I have on hand, which are, you know, yarn is something that's kind of hard to um, donate, uh, but it's also given me a way to give back to my community in a what I hope is a meaningful way for families that receive these little items that they can possibly, you know, have photos taken of their children and then maybe donate themselves. So um, I just thought that that was a way for artists to handle the I have way too many supplies because it really is a just for, oh, excuse me, a just in case item, not a just for when, when you're holding on to tons and tons and tons of craft supplies. My name is uh, Joe. I live in St. Louis. And one thing I wanted to share with you, and you probably have heard this, I uh, watched a, a number of uh, uh, YouTube uh, documentaries, uh, the, these hoarders. Uh, there's a, there was a hoarding show, American hoarding show, and there was a British hoarding show. And uh, the one, they have a therapist, in, in the I think it's called The Hoarder Next Door. It was very interesting. He was talking to this gentleman. This is another gentleman about my age. I mean, the poor guy, he could hardly walk through his house. And he brought us something very interesting, and it's uh, it's actually I, I now have I, I've adopted this. He told this man, he says, okay, he says uh, you get a pounding at your door, you go to your door, and it's a fireman. And he said, there's a big fire, it's headed this way, we can't control it. Uh, your house is going to be engulfed in about five minutes. You have five minutes to get together five things, belongings that are important to you that you can carry out of here. It can't be furniture, obviously, for, you know, nothing heavy, furniture, what have you. He says, okay, go. And a minute went by, okay, you have four minutes. You have, you know, now, now you can only take four items. And he went on down. And, and the poor man, he, he was so obsessed with his, his belongings, he broke down crying. It was it was really a telling moment. 
All right, y'all, that's it for this episode. If you have a question for The Minimalists, give us a call, 406-219-7839. And if you leave here with just one message, we hope it's this. Love people and use things because the opposite never works. Thanks for listening, y'all. We'll see you next time. Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it Every little thing that you gotta have Every little thing that you gotta have you gotta reach for and you gotta grab oh i bet that you'll be fine without it so tear your eyes away or tear